In today's episode of Backpacker Radio, presented by The Trek, we are talking all things ultralight backpacking. We're joined by our pal and thru-hiker extraordinaire, Carl Stanfield, a.k.a. Professor, as the three of us share some of our top tips for reducing pack weight. The advice in this episode covers the full spectrum from broad-based philosophical ways to approach what should and should not be in your pack to the more granular tips for simple and cost-effective ways of going UL. Whether you're hoping to thru-hike a triple crown trail or just simply lighten your load a bit for a weekend outing, this one has insightful and practical pointers for you. We wrap the show with a quick overview of a new ultralight material being used for tarps and tents and the relative pros and cons. But more importantly, we do a triple crown of the top benefits of an alien invasion, which devolves into the most insane debate in backpacker radio history. That is saying a lot. Chance goes pure red face on this one. Definitely worth the price of admission. But first. Are you tired of hip belt pockets that don't fit your phone or dislocating your shoulder in an effort to reach your water bottle? Well, Chicken Tramper Ultralight Gear, known on trail as Sea Tug, has the solution for you. Sea Tug was started by two engineers who are dirtbags at heart, located in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, where all their gear is now made. Their shoulder strap gear will attach to any backpack to carry those items and keep them within reach. For instance, the water bottle sleeve, weighing just 1.6 ounces, attaches to your pack strap, making it uber convenient to grab your water bottle. This encourages you to stay properly hydrated on trail, maximizing your hiking potential. I use this on my Ozark Highlands trail through hike, and let's just say I was the most hydrated I've ever been. Uh, usually it's a fight between whether or not I'm going to take off my pack to have a water break because my arms don't reach my pockets or just trying to drink a bunch of water at once so I can just make it to the next place before I take my pack off again. This time I was drinking water every time I felt thirsty and I didn't have to be decisive about whether I would stop or keep going before I would. The shoulder strap foam pocket offers the same convenience for your phone, so you can quickly confirm your location via GPS app snag that epic wildlife shot, or simply to keep up with the latest episode of Backpacker Radio. SeaTug offers a variety of gear specifically catered to long-distance backpackers, including hiker wallets, fanny packs, backpacks, and more. To save 15% on SeaTug gear, head to chickentrampergear.com and use the code BACKPACKERRADIO at checkout. That's BACKPACKERRADIO at chickentrampergear.com for 15% off. This code applies to all their gear, excluding backpacks and camera bags. Again, that code is BACKPACKERRADIO at chickentrampergear.com. Welcome to Backpacker Radio, presented by The Trek. Today is September 11th. Um, Obviously, not a happy day, but because we're doing the consistent theme of holidays, today is National Make Your Bed Day. Did you make your bed today? I don't make my bed. Maybe you'll celebrate tomorrow in honor of today. Yeah, there's always a chance. Okay. Uh, I'm your co-host, Zach Badger Davis. Sitting to my right is... Hi, I'm Juliana Chauncey, a.k.a. Chauncey. 
couple quick reminders before we get to today's action-packed episode. We've been talking about this a lot, but I'm still very excited about it. We've got a trip planned to Iceland for July of next year. This is a six-day adventure, including volcanoes, hot springs, geysers, ice caves, glaciers, waterfalls, and we will eat like Vikings. Not that Viking that you're probably thinking of, but the actual Vikings, the ones who did the pillaging and the other thing. I read this wrong when I was reading along with you. I thought it said, we'll eat Vikings. I was mm. like, whoa, that I did not see on yeah. the itinerary. Yeah. And to be clear, we'll, the only thing we're going to be doing like Vikings is eating. The rest of the yes. stuff will be quite unviking like because I don't think they had the best reputations. Actually, I think they traveled on foot a bit. Okay. We'll, we'll be hiking. We'll be hiking like Vikings, but maybe not the real hiking Viking. The, we'll be hiking like Vikings. The actual hiking Vikings. But we're leaving our Viking at home. The For real PR hiking reasons. Viking will not be eating like actual hiking Vikings, which is what we'll be doing. But long story short, we're taking this awesome trip next year to Iceland, and we want you to join us. There's not that many spots that remain, so please, if you're interested in joining us, act fast. Um, the first, I believe, 10 spots that sign up get the early bird pricing. After that, the price goes up a bit. So if you want to gallivant through the gorgeous countryside that is Iceland, please head to the link in the show notes and uh, put all your credit card information there and party with Johnson and I. Yeah, we've both never been there, so you'll get all the exciting first-time oohs and ahs alongside us as we see things for the very first time. I've always wanted to go to Iceland, so this is super fun. Yeah, and we don't really have any work obligations tied to this. Like when we go to trail days, it's like we got to capture content. We're spread in a million different directions. Like our job is just to hang out and go on vacation. So yeah. we're, we're going to be a ball of joy. We're technically the entertainment. Yeah. So sorry will, in advance for that because yeah. that will fall short for sure. But, we will do our darndest. Yeah. Uh, the other reminder I'd like to mention is if you enjoy the show and want to support us additionally, we have a Patreon page. We do a dedicated episode just for you the first Wednesday of each month. In a semi-recent episode, I smoked weed and got high. That's what happens when you smoke weed. And mm -hmm. uh, we played some games. That was pretty fun. We got feedback that you weren't high enough. So now we need yeah. to do it again. I did give you that same feedback. I'm a lightweight. doesn't take much. I'm also very good at concealing my non-sobriety. Um, some people show it very clearly. And uh, I feel like I have whatever gene allows me to still articulate while still being in a brownout phase. I'd say you refusing to take off your sunglasses played a part. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, but if you'd like to support the show, you want the additional episode, head over to patreon.com slash backpacker radio. Do we have any other reminders? Uh, probably, but oh yeah, we have a book that we're releasing at some point in 2024. Pooping in the Woods. Are we saying that's the official title or is this a working title? Did you forget the title? Because I feel like we, I, I'm not 100% sold on it yet, but it, it at least relays the content of what we're going after. The current working title is Pooping in the Woods, A Collection of Stories. I don't know how we can get better than that, but I'm open to it. If And if you are listening and you have a better suggestion, yeah. sign our DMs. Maybe the, the title can remain, but I definitely want something punnier for the subtitle. Okay. Yeah. I could, we could work with that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's opportunity there. Yeah, a heaping pile of hilarity. That's see, that's an example of a bad subtitle, but kind of the direction. Um, but yeah, so moving in the woods, it's going to be as um, the working title suggests, a selection of stories about poop experiences in the woods. Um, our favorite kinds are the funny ones, where it's more at your expense than 
um, anyone else's. And we are going to be contributing all our juicy poos uh, to this. <laughs> um, Zach's got one with a rattlesnake that he briefly mentioned that I don't even know about. I've got. I don't know if that'll be book worthy, to be honest with you. The ones I've read are so much better. There are really good ones. Yeah. I, we can cut ours if needed. Um, I've got my dog one. That one is an all timer. I've got the one where we I. We told that story to Courtney Dolwalter, which means true. it's a Hall of Fame poop story. One I won't give up is me accidentally shitting next to a girl on the JMT who had no idea that yeah. I was watching her shit. Yeah. That one no one can beat. Um, while my legs just burned from having to hold a silent squat so she wouldn't see me. Right. Um, then we've got the one from the Ozark Highlands Trail where on my 31st birthday, a man, one of the first people we saw on trail, walked up on me while I was shitting with no tree cover. Yep. And we had a quick conversation. Yep. And I decided to just keep pooping as a power move. Mm-hmm. Um, a dominance. We've got me getting my ass cheeks glued together with tree sap. Um, trying the <laughs> sitting on the, like this could be book, a book about book, me. Yeah. Um, so the cinnamon shitter. We've got Neutraling. a we've got a lot. We yeah. are going to pack this thing to the brim with poop. Yep. Um, okay, let's stop plugging our stuff and get directly to today's very juicy show. Excited for this one. I imagine you guys are as well. Very excited, especially because of our panelist here today, recurring guest. I guess this you had one appearance as a guest and now you're a panelist. So first time for each. So welcome to the podcast as a panelist formally. None other than Carl Stanfield, aka Professor. Thanks for being here. Woohoo. Happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. Before we dive into the subject of today's show, which is ultralight backpacking tips, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't get a qu- quick catch up on your life. So we chatted with you when you were basically on the last leg of your hiking adventures of your insane calendar year triple crown, which took different variations. But let me stop fumbling over my words and let you take the the wheel here and let us know what you've been up to since. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw you guys. I think it was like late September of last year. I, I had just started the CDT and then we caught up for a couple minutes for um, maybe like the 200 anniversary That's episode. Right. That's right. So there was like a little blip about that. So anyway, I finished CDT, finished the PCT, got the Triple Crown last year, um, and then spent a couple months this year, beginning of the year, just kind of recuperating a little bit. Um, I did a short through hike with a couple other guys, um, Horsepower and Constantine. We did the, the Shell Toey Trace Trail in Kentucky um, at the end of April, which is pretty sweet. And then I uh, went to Alaska to work for a little bit. I was up there for three and a half weeks uh, at a fish processing facility. Um, and that was a like really wild, bizarre experience. So it's um, it's a job like anybody can do it. You just show up and, and do what you're told. And it's 16 hour workday, seven days a week, the whole time that you're there and you're paid hourly. So uh, if you last the whole time, it, it pays well. They, they pay for your round trip flight. And then they also pay for your, uh, you have room and board the whole time. So you just like show up, plug in, do the work, and then leave with a paycheck. Is there a higher failure rate with this job or like a 2,000 mile through hike? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a through hike, but a lot of people don't make it. And if you don't make it, that's where you don't make money because then they charge you for room and board and they charge you for your plane ticket. No shit. To get home. Oh, yeah. that's oh, damn. Fun. Yeah, that's right. So it's like stakes are kind of high. <laughs> yeah. We should do this for a week. I feel like this would be a fun like. Well, then we'd have to pay for it. 
No, 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 no. We'll we'll tell them we're only going for. Can you tell them you're only coming for a week? You can try. I don't know. It, is it three week increments? It's uh. Well, I went late. It's supposed to be like a month and a half, but a lot of it is that like you're not communicated to, so you don't know it's your last day. Like you show up and HR tells you what's going on, and then they don't communicate with you anymore, except for by these TV monitors that are posted around the place. So you're staying in a dorm, so there's like a TV monitor in your dorm and in the cafeteria <laughs> and in the factory, and then they just like have announcements that are up. So like maybe there's not fish, and you're supposed to come in late, and like that's on the board, and then you don't find out you're leaving until there's an like a, a note that says um that like a new flight list has been posted and then you go check it like during your lunch break and then if your name's on there then that's your last day and you're done working but you don't know you're done working until it your name it sounds pops like up. the island yeah this sounds like something out it's of black bizarre. mirror this yeah. is so strange uh because i knew you went into it knowing that it was going to be a certain duration right it was six weeks yeah it was i knew like roughly the time period i okay. said like it hadn't gone past august 1st in okay. like a decade or something got it so i knew roughly the latest i could be there and then sounds a little bit a like of... the barkley like you just show up and uh some guy shoots a gun at a certain point and everybody's off yeah yeah it's kind of like that and yeah. so there's um so I was like in a room with four other guys and then there's uh, there's three different shifts that start every eight hours. Um, so like every eight hours while you're there, like you're saying good morning to a new set of people. Um, and then it worked out because like they're like two guys run one shift two run another and I was by myself. So during my like eight hours, I wasn't working. I had like had a room to myself, which was nice. Um, but you're just like, yeah, in this circuit of these 16 hour shifts and it it's it's four four hour shifts. Um, so there's like a little break every four hours to How break it up break? a little bit. Um, it's 15 minutes and then 30 for lunch and then 15 again. Got it. That's so crazy. Yeah. What do you do with 15 minutes off at this processing? Yeah, not much. It's right next to like the cafeteria. So like you get coffee and sit down for a minute. Yeah. Use the bathroom probably. Yeah. Right. I I imagine coffee's got to be a very popular thing doing a job like this. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that, yeah, the demographic was interesting because it was like probably like 60% of people or so were like 25 or younger. So there's like a lot of college kids that were there. And they'd like get off work and then like go hang out. And there's like a bar across the street. So like go to the bar and sleep for like four hours and then come back and go again. <laughs> so there's like like those people that are just like hanging out and having a good time. And yeah. then there's people from like all over the world that are like 50, 60, 70 years old that are like coming to make money for their family and like go back home. So like there's Damn. different tones of like, yeah. yeah, I'm just like having fun here, making money in like my summer between college. And then some people are like, I need to feed my kids. So it's kind of all over the place. This is crazy. 70 years old doing 16 hour shifts, seven days a week. Yeah. For how many weeks? I feel like this breaks some labor laws. I started like as late as possible. Yeah. Um, So as the longest anyone was there, I think it was probably like six weeks. So it's not a crazy long period of time. But but without a day off, that's a long time. You're not supposed to have days off. But if there's not fish, there's not work. Okay. So scattered in, you don't know when, but like every once in a while, it's like there's no fish. How many days off did you get? Um, I, I never had a full day off, but I had a couple days where like, like four hours or eight hours or something. Okay. Yeah. And then you just like sleep for most of that. Damn, this needs to be like a Netflix documentary. It does need to be yeah. a TV show. Yeah. yeah. And this was just like the tip of the iceberg. There's like other places that do similar things. Like they had, um, I had a, a roommate from Mexico who was about to go and do a similar thing, but it was picking coffee beans in Hawaii and it was 12 hour days, six days a week. And it's the same deal where like they fly you out, room aboard the whole deal, but it's in Hawaii. It's yeah. like, this is just like a thing of like these like intensive kind of work things. That's how they get people there. It's like, we have a lot of work to do. We'll pay you for all these hours, but like you got to show up and do it. Okay, hear me out. What if we go undercover and we like take film while doing fish stuff and then we come back and we produce our own Netflix documentary? Yeah. And I we- mean, this has got to violate, I don't know, are there nationwide workers' rights? Like, I feel like this is- Fish our life. Uh, Yeah. 
It seems intense is what I'm yeah. getting. Yeah, at. it's and, intense. And borderline illegal. I don't know how this isn't illegal. Yeah, I mean, but you're I mean you're getting paid overtime. So yeah. like it's like right. sixteen hour a day, seven days a week. That's 112 hours a week. Yeah. So at, at eighteen dollars an hour, like that's was there ever a point where you thought you weren't gonna make it? No. I like I I knew I was gonna be out by the end of July. Yeah. Uh, and there were several other through hikers there that I met. No so shit. It's like tracks like yeah. this type of person. It only is tough because it's like in hiking season. Yeah. But one of the guys I met, I'd actually crossed paths with for like 15 minutes on the PCT last year. And like he came up and chatted with me and then he was going off to hike the Pacific Northwest Trail like right after that. Mm-hmm. So like just show up for like a month and a half, make your hiking money and then yeah. go out for a while. Wow. I guess it seems perfect for the through hiking type style life. Like yeah. you just need to pad the bank account quickly, just right. get a little need bit of suffer fest like, and have any place to live. Yeah. Like it's ideal that you don't have a place to live and like you don't have a vehicle or anything. Like you just show up and do the work and yeah. then go home with a paycheck. Good way to reappreciate your day to day. Yeah, for sure. You'd stop complaining about our menial jobs. I mean, could I be a good a summer job, camp but... for children. Yeah. I'm kidding. That's, we called it <laughs> summer camp while we were there. Did you? Yeah. Cause it, it felt like it was summer camp. It's just, we only had one activity. And it Fish. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see an out of context clip of someone just being like, no fish today. And like the cloud, the crowds roaring. Yeah. You know, no context about what fish means. Right. Just people getting amped about no fish today. <laughs> yeah. And most people got amped. Most people, some people were like, they wanted their hours. They'd be like upset and like try to go work in a different department or something like sneak in. So like three different departments and like the different like parts of the process. So I was in like the first one where the fish come in. So some people got told like no fish today and they'd like sneak off into another department, like just get in the assembly line and like start going. Most people like were so ready for a break, but some people like wanted their hours while they were there. So what was your day to day? Like what was the actual work itself? Yeah. So they were, I, I got trained on like five or six different jobs. And then the like the leads that were they were pretty good at like rotating people through. So you work different stuff. So like you're using your body in different ways. Um, so like one of the jobs, the first thing I did, I went in and someone said like, Hey, come with me. And then we like got these big trays and I stood across from each other and we each grabbed like three or four fish that had like their guts and their heads off and everything and put them on this tray and put them on a rack. And then the guy leaned in and said, all right, we're just going to do this for four hours. Hmm. So it's usually like a really basic task. Like almost everything they said, like a third grader could do. You're just like doing it nonstop. So like I did that. I did one where like the fish come down, their heads are off and their tails are off. And you just like take it off the line with your right hand and then feed it into a machine with your left hand that like opens up the like the stomach and like has like brushes on the inside that spin the guts out and then there's one where like you're standing at at a table and like all the guts have spilled out and you're like separating like the egg sacs from everything else and just putting those in a pile because like the 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 row is what that is like that's the high dollar stuff actually more than the fish um and then there's like after it goes through the line there's people that are double checking and like pulling out the rest of the guts that the machine didn't get um so like, uh, yeah, it's like a variety thing. So I just like what I, you'd show up. And then if you showed up early, you could like kind of have say of like, so if you took shorter breaks, you could get in and say like, hey, can I do this for this block? And then mm-hmm. you could go do it. Or if you took longer on your breaks, you'd get like the job no one wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're like incentivized to take kind of shorter breaks in that sometimes. Classic. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but uh, yeah, it was all right. And like three and a half weeks, like, you know, there were like a few shorter days in there. It, it went by really fast. And then the way that they like, I think, and like some people theorize, the way that they like have retention from that is like, so you leave them one day, like you find out you're leaving and then your flight's two days later. And then the next day you can either like do nothing or you can take this like discounted trip to Katmai National Park. Hmm. That's this national park in Alaska that's only accessible by float plane and by ferry. Um, and so like the the whole area, like in King Salmon, Alaska, where I was, the only stuff they had was like, fishing facilities and then this national park so just tourism and like workers so um so we did like the day before before you go home like after you're done working the last thing that we do is go to this national park and it's like 
I didn't know anything about it till I got there, but it's where like the National Geographic videos of like bear catching um, mm. salmon jumping out of the water comes from. Like you just stand there on these viewing platforms. You're like 50 yards from all these bears and you're watching them just like snatching salmon out of the water. It was like a cool finish because like I recognized salmon at that point. Like I'd been staring at him like <laughs> 16 hours a day. So like I know that fish. And then I watched like bears just like grab them and eat them in like six bites and then just like keep going. So it was really cool. So the last thing you do is watch that and then you get your paycheck and you go home and you're like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. I think I'll go again next year. Yeah. Damn, what a chapter for your book. Yeah. What an insane story. And just like less than a month too. Yeah. I said yeah, make, right. make its own book. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. So yeah, so that was how I spent half of my summer. Um, and then since I finished my hike, uh, I now have a girlfriend. Yee! Oh, love. Yeah. Department. yeah, right. Tell me about love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, she followed my hike last year and reached out to me on Instagram at the beginning of this year. We've been talking for a while and I'm here now because I am on a road trip. She lives in Canada. So I just went up to Canada to see her and I'm on my way back home now to Tennessee. How did she slide in the DMs? What was her strategy? Yeah, she actually, Nudes, right? she messaged me. I had just posted like at the beginning of the year, um, I played Pokemon Go and I had just like completed one of the Pokedexes for it. And I like posted that I'd finished it. And then she responded to that and said like, um, that's great, but how many like eggs did you hatch over 8,450 miles last year? It's like responded to this Pokemon thing. So like she's into like the nerdy thing and into the hiking thing. Were you and doing Pokemon during your hike? I was, yeah. Oh no shit. How many yeah. Pokemon can you find on trail? Because I know this thing blew up, but then I got kind of bored of it as yeah. did the yeah, rest same. of the world. Right, and I, I, I hadn't played it in a while. And then last year, it's like, that ah, might be a fun thing to do while I'm out there. Are there are there good Pokemon on trail? Is, yes, yes. Like when you have service, ones? like I don't know, like the the algorithm like makes them just spawn all over the place. So it's usually like the same stuff. Like it doesn't matter if you're in the city or on trail. It's, mm. it's mostly the same stuff. So it's not as exciting. Um, but it's you know you're all you're playing all the time, and then like you get rewards for how much you walk, and like it keeps now it keeps track of how far you walk even when you're not in the app. And so like you may as well have it running if you're Did like you break every record in that case. <laughs> yeah, I got I got a lot of rewards. <laughs> yeah. Sponsored show, by. Yeah, is like a leaderboard or anything like that? Like are you the No, goat not Pokemon? really. And I didn't do an, there's I don't know. That that doesn't actually matter that much compared to the rest of the stuff, but I was really good at that part of it. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. Well, yeah, I we like I said before we hit the record button, we could easily turn this into like a two-hour yeah. interview, yeah, yeah. which so we have to consciously easy. try to avoid here to get to the point of today's show. Um, but if you want more Carl, we'll definitely get him on in a future episode again. But check out episode 172. We caught him in the middle of his calendar year triple crown. Before we get to the panel points here, um, can you just give us the very brief Cliff's notes on your hiking history? Um, obviously, we talked about the calendar year triple crown and then work backwards from there. Yeah, for sure. So I went to college um, in North Carolina at Brevard College. And I, I did a, I majored there in a program called Wilderness Leadership and Experiential Education. Um, and that was cool. There was like a 21 day backpacking trip or just like expedition that was part of it. There's also like canoeing and stuff. But anyway, so I got like a, like a formal education in backpacking kind of stuff and got like some certifications. Like I got my leave no trace master educator and my wilderness first responder that I've kept up since then. So I graduated that in 2015, um, and then worked and kind of did like some backpacking guiding in Washington state for a little bit for a few summers. And then, um, I threw hiked the Appalachian trail in 2018 and the Pacific crest trail in 2019. And then um, took some time off and saved up and then did um, the calendar year Triple Crown last year um, and uh, started in Key West. And so I went through like Florida and Alabama. So I added the Florida Trail and Pinhoti Trail to that uh, and went uh, border to border on all three last year. Hell yeah. So moral of the story is Carl's got a lot of miles under his belt. Very qualified to speak on the subject. Um, yeah, so let's get right to it. Ultralight backpacking panel. 
a couple things I want to hit on before we jump into the points here is, and Carl, please correct me on this because you're definitely more learned on all things gear, but is uh, ultralight is defined as 10 pounds or less for a base weight. Is that right? Is there like a explicit definition on what UL is or is it more of a general concept? I, I, I use it as more of a general concept. There might be a more formal thing, but yeah. I, I, I think like, I, I think of it as like just trying to be intentional about your weight. Okay. Um, so I, I would say like even less than like 20 or 15 pounds, I would say is like some form of ultralight. Some people might be more specific about that, but sure. I think especially starting out, like I, I was trying to get under 15 and it was, I thought it was a different sport going yeah. from like a 30 plus pound base weight to like 15. It felt like a totally different game. Totally. I will, I will toss in, um, I, that was something that I had seen too, was under 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm one of the people where I, like, I like seeing things separated differently. In categories. In ca categories. Yeah. I love categories. Yeah. So if you're a listener and you also like categories, um, my understanding was 10 pounds or less is ultralight. And then 10 pounds to, I think it's like 15 or something is light, lightweight. lightweight. Yeah. And then there's average, and then there's whatever's above that. Sure. But I had always understood that the 10 pound was the mark between lightweight and ultralight. Yeah. And I think generally speaking, that is correct. The categories are correct. But I also think Carl's right that yes. it's, it's used, I think, more loosely. It's more of a general concept as opposed to like attaining a certain number. Um, so when we're talking about it here, I don't know if we're, we're, we're going more on the general concept as opposed to like achieving a 10, a sub 10 pound base weight. Um, so whatever you want to make of that, please do. Yeah. If you, if you're someone who wants to lighten your pack weight for either comfortability, speed, clout, whatever reason, like you're trying to get that pack weight down, doesn't matter what the actual number is. The more you hike, the more you'll realize you stop looking at that number. Once you figure out what works for you, it can be fun in the beginning while you're trying to figure it out. But once you figure it out, you don't really pay attention to it. So if you take any of this and it helps you weigh it down at all, um, we've done our job. Yeah. Um, and the other thing to mention, I've thrown out the term base weight a couple of times now. Base weight means your pack weight minus your consumables, consumables, food, water, that fuel. People say fuel, but fuel, like you still have the can. Right. So. Yes. And some of these things are kind of in flux too. And also it subtracts the clothing that you're wearing. So like anything that's on your body at all times is subtracted out of that, obviously. Um, there's a lot of nuance to all this stuff, but just trying to give you guys some mm -hmm. rough idea of what these terms mean and how they are used. With that said, let's jump into our first points. Chance, I've got your name on the list here first, so feel free to take it. Yay. Okay. My first one is just get used to doing less for a bit. Um, so to elaborate on that statement, yes, it feels great to do a full skincare routine at night. Yes, it feels great to be able to keep up with you know, like don't don't lose all hygiene, right? Like don't lose your sense of self and become just an absolute dirt rat, but do less, right? Like you don't need to always be doing, like you don't need the, the, the hygiene kit that's got a million things that you'd usually do at home, the moisturizer, the face wipes, the, all this stuff. And maybe you do for different reasons, but I think when it comes to doing a hike and trying to get your base weight down, if you can just accept that temporarily you will do less and you won't have to carry as much weight and you won't die because of it, it's temporary. 
right? Like you're going to be back at your house at some point. You're going to be back in civilization. You can put on, you know, whatever it is extra that you want to do to fluff things up then. But if you can get away with not sleeping with a pillow and you can sleep on your balled up puffy or if you if you could find little things that would suck to do full time at all times that you wouldn't suffer from by cutting out, it's temporary. And a lot of us could do more than we think if it's only temporary. Yeah. And I think a classic example of this one is new backpackers always want to bring a thing of deodorant on trail. Yeah, like, and that's like something you see basically no through hikers carrying. Yeah. Because uh, I think to your point, the big thing here is just to embrace the fact that you're going to be a grimy, disgusting piece of shit. And if you're doing something like the ATPCT where there's a community of people, everybody around you is in the same boat. So you're not weird. You might be a little bit weird when you're going to town or you're getting a hitch, especially in an area where they're not familiar with through hikers. But uh, it, I think coming to grips with this is easier understanding that you're in a community of like-minded people. Um, and what you're saying actually triggered another point that I wanted to lead in before we got to the points is that um, some of the things that I'm going to say are not necessarily things that I advocate you should do. These are things that are necessary to get to like the true UL status. But if you want to shave weight, do these things. But I wouldn't necessarily say that everybody should do these things. Some of the things I think everybody should do, some of the things... Um, I'll just go out of turn here because this is not one of my examples, but on the PCT, I used a short version version of the uh, new or X-Lite sleeping pad to shave weight and to get to the pack weight that I wanted to get to, to do the miles that I wanted to do that was necessary. And I have not done that since. That's not temporary. Something, yeah, exactly. It's that, temporary. It, to get to some version of ultralight, that was necessary. But I'm not going to say that this is something that you should do. This is a means to an end. And if the end that you want to achieve is being ultralight, these are the things that can get you there. So that's that's my preamble for that. While we're throwing in disclaimers, uh, point that I think is also important to make is there's a difference between discomfort and um, danger, right? Like lowering things that are going to make you temporarily uncomfortable is for me in the green go light category, lowering things and removing things that are going to put you in a position that could be potentially life-threatening is in the no-no zone. There was a guy we met on the AT that was sleeping without a sleeping bag because he had decided to send it home and he wanted to send his puffy home next. That shit's stupid, right? There's a there's a line to not go below. Yeah, and I think Andrew Skirka has the gold standard on this one. He wrote a blog post a long time ago called Stupid Light, where, yeah. like that, where you cross the line from ultralight to just being stupid and, to your point, unsafe. Like, that's not a threshold that you should cross. Yeah, know yourself, know your judgment. Yeah. Um, that being said, I did kind of derail us there. Do either of you guys have anything you want to add to Chance's first point? Basically, just like the version of yourself that exists before a long distance backpacking trip is going to die in a lot of capacities and uh, coming to grips with that it will save you certainly a lot of weight it's good for you yeah you don't need to be town you all the time for sure anything yeah. you want to add to that one uh well i think my first point kind of piggybacks off of that um which is um i didn't i didn't have like an exact terminology to put to it but i think just like being adaptable is super helpful. Oh. Um, that helps too, whichever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, being adaptable and being able to go without something for a little while. And so in addition to like being able to go without things at all, I think um, 
developing a peace of mind that you don't need backups for things because most backups for things you can get within like a week on any trail. Mm. Like the first time that I hiked the AT, I, um, I broke both my trekking poles at the same time in Vermont. Like I snapped the tips off. So they still like almost kind of did something, but they, they didn't do much. And then I like- What were the within, trekking poles out of curiosity? Um, they, I think they were Leckies. Okay. And I had gotten almost 2000 miles out of them. And oh. they, those, they don't even make that kind anymore. They had like a 700 mile guarantee on it. So they, they like went through their life cycle. Yeah. Um, and then I broke them and like within 24 hours, I had service and placed an Amazon order to general delivery to a post office. And by the time I got to the next town, trekking poles were there waiting on me. Yeah. So you could do that. Like, you know, you, you think that like, oh, these little towns aren't going to have all the amenities and they probably won't, but they're probably going to have a post office. Yeah. And if you're like flexible with your time and you can hang out in town for a day or two, you can send yourself almost anything like general delivery to any town. Right. And with a lot of like layers and stuff too, a lot of places will like you could get like a beanie or a pair of gloves or something to go buy. If you're thinking that like, I don't think I need these, but maybe like you're probably going to survive without a beanie for three or four days until you get like to the first town and then you can kind of decide. So a lot of those things of like, I don't know if I should be redundant or like, I feel like maybe I should take this thing. If you can just get by for a couple days at a time, if you figure out that you need it, you can get it. It's it's not like when you set on a through hike, you're deciding definitely yes, definitely no. Like within a few days, you can get just about anything you need at any point on any trail. Yeah. That's so true for so many different things, like even as simple as town clothes. I know a lot of people battle whether or not to bring a set of town clothes in the beginning. And it's like, if you want them, get them in town. Or if you get to town and you realize, I wish I had these, you can send them to yourself for the next town. Yeah. Even like, how many socks should I carry? Carry one less than you think. Worst case scenario, you add a pair. Or my big one was headlamp batteries. I would always have like an extra set of batteries just in case my headlamp died. A, it's going to go dim before it dies. You're going to kind of tell that that day is coming. And B, what's the worst thing that can happen there is I can't night hike. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll just have to stop and sleep two miles earlier than I had wanted to that night. That's not life threatening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big thing is realizing that all of those, like, if this happened, it would be bad. It's like not as bad as you would think. And it's not for as long as you would think, like whatever that is, like you can get by whatever that thing is for a couple of days. Like if you lose your spoon, like meals are going to suck a couple times, but then you can go into town and like a fast food restaurant is going to have a plastic spoon. You can take if nothing else. Like, yeah, if, if you, and then once you have like owned that skill of like, oh, I can be adaptable to this stuff, then you can start like, maybe I don't need like this thing at all. And like that can kind of like, like take you to trimming down more and more things, but at least just starting out of realizing that like, you don't need as many redundancies as you think you do because you'll be able to replace something soon enough and you can get by without any piece of your gear for a couple of days and survive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is this bad or is this inconvenient? Right. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you can stay warm and dry, you're going to survive. Those are the things that are nice. And everything else is basically like they can be varying degrees of uncomfortable, but you will survive until the next opportunity to replace whatever item you need. Um, I'm sure we've all been in the camp. At least I have multiple times where, cause you brought up the example of uh, like forgetting a spoon. I've done that probably at least five times. And I've done it. Yeah. I'm curious to know like what, what creative measures you've used. Cause I've used the top of the dehydrated meal thing, like folded it up into a bunch of things to get like something rigid. I think I've used a piece of bark. I've just dumped it in my mouth like a fucking savage. I'm curious to know what hacks you guys have used there. Dumped it in my mouth. Uh, and then the common theme here is it happens to everyone, right? Yeah. Um, dumped it in my mouth. I've Oftentimes, depending on the trail you're on, you might be camping with other people. I've waited for them to get done eating and then I've just borrowed theirs. Um, I've used a stick. 
Like, talk about not needing a lot of stuff. When you're at the point where you're going to use a stick to eat food out of a bag, you really don't need much. Yeah. It's uh, glorious. And yeah. 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 And I think there's a point, too, in there that that's like the you can get by without stuff um, that like it's not fun to be. But there's enough people out there. You can mooch stuff if you had to. Sure. So like when I've lost a spoon, like I found a guy that was carrying three. I was just like, here, just take one of these. And then I had one for a while. Yeah. Like there are pe- I mean, you shouldn't rely on it, but there are people that are going to have lots of stuff. Yeah. On trail. And and so like, yeah, if, if it's like big enough of a deal, there are enough other hikers you can ask to borrow like a spoon or like a lighter or something like that that's like inconvenient for a few days but like you're gonna live it's gonna be so fine but also how fun is it to find like a really flat rock and be like this would be this would work and then you're sitting there eating with it and you just feel really cool in that moment yeah you've, you've... connecting with your caveman yeah. woman primal self i love that uh anything else before i get to my first one no it was a good one If you've listened to Backpacker Radio, you know that both Zach and I are big fans of Gossamer Gear, manufacturers of lightweight backpacking gear and accessories. Their packs carry comfortably, their roomy shelters protect in harsh weather conditions, and the trekking poles are some of the lightest on the planet. Gossamer Gear is changing the perception of delicate ultralight gear. Zach and I are both users of Gossamer Gear's packs and shelters. I brought the Gossamer Gear The One Shelter on the AT and PCT which is both roomy and light, weighing less than one and a half pounds. It's the one you need, as some have been saying. I've also taken the two on weekend trips in Colorado with Harper, which gives us each our own space when she spent the day getting acquainted with the bottoms of mud puddles. And as you may already know, the one now comes in DCF, which means it's even more durable, even more waterproof, and even lighter than the original. Zach has used the Gorilla, their 40 liter pack, for more than 3,000 miles of backpacking, including his PCT through hike drink. He also loves the Gossamer Gear Light Flex Hiking Umbrella, which he has used on the PCT and Trans Catalina Trail. Good news, listeners of Backpacker Radio can score an exclusive deal on Gossamer Gear products. Use discount code TAKELESSTREKMORE for 15% off your cart at gossamergear.com. Again, that's TAKELESSTREKMORE all one word, at gossamergear.com to score a 15% discount. Don't sleep on this as the deal is only valid for a limited time. Okay, my first one, and I'm pretty sure I've used this in a previous panel. I'm going to pretend like you haven't ever listened to the podcast before. Thank you for joining us. We are weird. Is This is the one I think that ultimately is going to save you the most amount of weight. It is the cheapest way that you can save weight and It makes a big difference, and it's also a very common mistake that beginner backpackers make, myself included. That is carrying too much water. And I want to add the very important disclaimer of don't carry too little water, especially in areas that that are dry. Way worse to be dehydrated and uh, potentially die from dehydration because you didn't carry enough water. But there's plenty of places where people go backpacking where there are ample water sources. And depending on whatever resource tool you use, let's just say AT, for example, um, using something like the AT Far Out Guide or AWOL's Guide will let you know exactly where every creek, stream, every water source opportunity is. You can carry way too much weight just by carrying too much water. So one liter of water, 2.2 pounds, is heavier than even the most popular ultralight backpacking tents. So if you're carrying three liters of water, you can do the math, that's 6.6. 
that's just a dumb mistake to make in an area where you can have access to water basically every 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and this is, this is the simplest way again, to shave weight. Like people are talking about sawing their toothbrush in half and spending an extra hundred dollars to save four ounces on their pack. You can save pounds on your back and ultimately many, many, many miles of extra unneeded stress just by being more mindful of your, your water carries and intake. A big thing with this is to ensure that when you get to a water source, that you are doing what backpackers call, I don't know if it's just backpackers, maybe it's all endurance athletes, but cameling up at water sources. For me, that basically means drinking to the point where I'm borderline uncomfortable or maybe actually uncomfortable, but to the point where like I can go the next 20, 30, maybe 60 minutes without even craving any water at all. And if, again, if water is plentiful, I can make it to the next water source with carrying one liter, a half a liter. There've been plenty of instances where I don't even carry any water depending on where I am. Um, there's a lot of factors that play into this. Again, if you're new to backpacking, I encourage you to err on the side of carrying a little bit more water than you think you need, but be mindful as you're getting into backpacking as a beginner to see like if you're pulling up to your break spot and you've still got two liters in your smart water bottles or your camelback or whatever it might be that you're carrying four and a half pounds of very unnecessary weight. And this is the easiest way that you can help to lighten your pack. Anything you guys would like to add to that? I got a couple of things. Sure. Um, first, the, I'm coming from a position of I have water anxiety. So I usually pack extra water because I'm- They say you carry your fears. Right. And so I've, I've had instances where, and there are ways that I have learned from this since. Okay. So that's the caveat is you can learn from this since. Um, there have been times on the PCT and the Colorado Trail where I've, there's two times I can distinctly remember where I ran out of water with still miles to go. Um and it is very uncomfortable when that yeah. happens. Like it, I've been there. I'm sure everyone yeah. who's done long distance backpacking, yeah. it, especially in like drier, hotter areas, has experienced this. Right. And it fucking sucks. 100%. Like PCT was eight miles. I'll never forget that. CD or the, uh, the Colorado Trail, I had to get off at Monarch Pass, which I didn't plan, and hitchhike down to Salida and drink the river water. Like that's how thirsty I was. So I come in with water anxiety. Um, I was prepared to drink my own pee on the Colorado Trail to have John yeah. talk me out of it. Uh, so, so there, we're not coming from a place of just be stupid, right? Correct. Um, Which is the, the a very important point in yeah. this is to be mindful of where your next reliable water source is. So, for something like far out, they have indicators of reliable water versus unreliable water. Usually, the comments will give you some information on that. If you're unsure, pretend like it's unreliable. But uh, if you've gotten a comment in the last three days that the water source is running yes. well, you can bank on that and you can adjust your water carry accordingly. Well, I was also going to say there's other things that you can do to even help. Like if you've got water anxiety like I do, one thing that helped me on the Ozark Highlands Trail is Far Out even gives different types of downloads that you can do for your maps. The, to the topography ones, you sure. can do the different satellite map maps. And so there were stretches where we thought we should have like a 12, 15 mile dry stretch on the OHT. And we started realizing like, hey, this thing is nothing but water. What is this about? And we would go on those extra maps that we downloaded. And if you zoom in, you can start to see streams that weren't marked. Mm -hmm. And so now we feel a lot more comfortable carrying less because should I be in one of those situations I was in, now I have this added feature that I didn't think to download the first time around where I can then use that 
to get myself out of this situation that could have been something I did on those times. Mm -hmm. So there are things that don't weigh anything, like these extra downloads that you can do to help with that water anxiety. Yeah. Um, two more points I had. Cameling up, you'll hear some people like give pushback on whether or not you should camel up. I have known people who have gotten sick from not having enough sodium um, and from like over drinking. Yeah, electrolytes are another thing to be mindful of. It, all this is um, condition specific. Well, I was going to say you can even bring a salt packet or two. Sure. If you know you're going to camel up, eat a salt packet. It weighs nothing. Or just consume your saltier food. But yeah. yeah. And then my last... I will say salt on an empty stomach will definitely cause gut distress. So be mindful of that. If you haven't had food in a while, uh, there's a very good chance you will get the runs if you just d dump a packet of salt in your stomach. Yeah, eat a snack. Yeah. Um, last thought that I have that helps me with my water anxiety but also helps me keep my water down is... Plan your dinner at a water source if you want to be able to do a few extra miles at a faster pace. Instead of having to hit your last water source of the day if you're not camping at water and then heaving out the water you'll need for dinner and then through the night, stop there, eat your dinner at the water source, cook your food, then go do your extra two, three miles with only what you need to get through the night. Yeah. And I think you make a good point there. And I'll just add the caveat that if you can plan your breaks at water sources too, mm -hmm. um, there are times where you have to pick between the pretty vista and the water source. I'm not going to tell you to make the water source decision, especially if you're out there for just a short period of time. But usually I tend to pick my breaks at water sources just for the reason of hydration. And this, again, this is the split between do you want to be ultralight or do you want to maximize your enjoyment in whichever way this might be? These are tips to get ultralight. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, Breaking at the Vista for two hours is your preferred thing. Your pack's probably going to be a little bit heavier, so you're going to have to make sacrifices on the UL front. If you want to be ultralight, you take your breaks at the water sources. And camel up is basically just a way of saying, make sure that you're fucking hydrated. Yeah. Because there's so many times where I hit the trail, like the night before I had two beers, I start in the morning with two cups of coffee. Like I'm dehydrated as is. Mm -hmm. It's hot outside. I'm sweating. Like I'm starting behind the eight ball. Cameling up just means like make sure that you're doing everything to get your body into a good shape. That way, if you do happen to hit a water source that you are banking on and it's not there, you're not behind the eight ball already. Your body can probably withstand uh, going the extra mile, two or three or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, just ensuring that you are able to hydrate at the opportunities where hydration is feasible. Well, what you said that I didn't even think about, which... It, it feels second nature now, but something if you are brand new to backpacking that you're going to start catching yourself doing is when you look at the map and you start to kind of plan out your days, you're going to just naturally start looking for that. Okay, where am I going to stop for lunch? Well, there's a water source in 12 miles. I'll make it to that and I'll do lunch there. Where am I going to camp? Okay, well, from lunch, it's another nine miles to this stream and they've got three campsites. I'll go there. You might not think to do that in the very beginning, but it gets to the point where you just don't even think about it anymore because you're nature. you're just looking for that on the map without even thinking about totally, it. Totally, totally. Yeah, um, you've said a lot. If there's anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think I, I just look at it as like its own skill of like your how you handle water on the trail um, and that it, it's not something that like you either are like doing or not doing. I think it takes a while, like especially starting out on a through hike to like not only like figure out what you're comfortable with, but your body adapts also. So it's not just like how you do the first week is going to like probably be different than a couple weeks later when like your your body chemistry is different and like you need different calories and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I look at it as like an ongoing skill that you're developing 
Um, and something like I, I looked at it as like kind of a game too of like, I've got nine miles. Like, I think I can make this leader in a half last. Uh, and then like, like practicing with rationing where like you might be thirsty enough to drink the whole thing. Mm. Um, but you can, if you ration, like you'll be more comfortable by the time you get to the end and like nine miles with the leader and a half on like a rainy day, like you're going to be fine. But like, if you, okay, I know what that was like. So if I had to, in this other scenario, like I know what that would feel like. And it just, I think it's a skill that you develop, like the more that you're out, you just, you figure out what your balance is, um, how deep you are in a through hike. And it's, um, it's in flux and it's kind of like you taking risks sometimes of like, yeah, I think it's going to be enough to get to this source. And then you get there and like, oh, I was too hot. I need more for this next stretch. And it's just, it's in flux. It's a skill you develop. Um, and it's something, especially as you're starting out, it makes sense to carry more, but then a few weeks in a month in, then you can kind of start playing with it a little bit. Well said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. De definitely something that you refine as you get comfortable with it. And if you're new to backpacking, again, please err on the side of carrying more water as opposed to less. Um, we don't want anybody dying on trail. Yeah, I think like just like you start to learn your hiking pace, like I know I go at a standard like 2.5 miles per hour if I'm not dilly-dallying, you're going to start to learn your drinking pace, right? Like for a map that exactly like Carl's saying, if it's five miles, I know roughly how many liters I'm going through. And while you're trying to figure out that out and develop that skill, pay attention to what you're drinking, not what people around you are drinking. Because you'll hear people at a source be like, oh, how much are you taking for this next five? Fuck that, right? Go off of what you know you usually drink, not what someone else's does, because everyone's body's different and you got to learn what yours is doing. I've been shocked at what I've heard what other people like experienced backpackers say like, oh, yeah, I just need this for that. And yeah. I've been like really surprised. A half they're fine. for 10 miles yeah. through the heat and yeah, exposed right. terrain. And like, I guess they're they're doing all right. Yeah. But, like, I, I know what I need. And so yeah. it, it's like, it, yeah, it really doesn't matter what other mm -hmm. people are doing. Like everybody's pretty different and like pretty experienced people even can have really different things that they need. Totally. Yeah. And if you're not sure what you need. I'd say the best place to start with is let your urine be your guide. Like if you're pissing bright orange, you've, you fucked up. You, you need to make that piss lighter. So drink to the point. I, from my understanding, if you're pissing totally clear, you might be overhydrated at that point. I think you want a little bit of color to this. Uh, I'm not a nutritionist, so I won't speak to that. But I can say with great confidence that if you're peeing brown, um, you fucked up. You can go by the Zach method. Would you drink it? <laughs> well, I just love drinking piss, so don't don't use me as a guide, but yeah. Cool. Welcome to Backpacker Radio, new listeners. <laughs> yeah. We talk about drinking piss quite a bit. Cool. If they didn't get that with pooping in the woods out the gate, then. Yeah. They should. They, they Now they do. Shame on you. Boy, do you have more in store for you in, in previous <laughs> episodes. Um, okay. My second one is like one of the probably most obvious ones out there, but compare weights. Right. Like when you are just getting into there's a there's a very fun point that a lot of people have when they start hiking where you're getting a lot of your gear at the same time or you're upgrading certain pieces of gear if you've been doing this a long time. And I'm going to go with the person that's just buying from the start because they probably are less um, in touch with how to tune down their kit. But compare weights and make it fun for you. Like, yeah, we shit on people who like cut their, you know, toothbrushes and things like that. But if you're making sure you're getting the right sizes for things like sleeping bags, for your clothes, for your packs, anything that you can make more accurate by looking at those sizing charts, by seeing like, okay, if I'm in between these two sizes, can I make this one work? How much does that cut off? Those can add up. And when you start getting down to if we're going super like by the books with this, if we're going down to where you get under 10 pounds in your pack, you're going to start needing that little extra bit to add up. 
um, in a way that isn't necessarily just relying on clipping your toothbrush, right? Like, could I get away with having, I'm 5'1", for the record, could I get away with having a regular length sleeping pad? Sure, but the short one saves me point whatever ounces. Okay, could I get away with having the wide sleeping bag? Sure, but can I also do with the regular quilt? Yes, that saves me point whatever. Could I be more comfortable in a medium puffy? Yes. Does the small one fit my dimensions? Yes, that saves me whatever. All that little stuff is going to add up. And as long as you're not getting things where you're walking around looking like you just shopped in the child section, right, with things that don't fit. A little crop top puffy. Exactly. Like you don't want to do that, but they do add up. And what I've always told myself, because I personally, I have around an eight pound base weight and I I say that's necessity because I'm 5'1". On trail, my weight is between 110 and 120 pounds, which if you're keeping your base weight below 20% um, or your pack weight with food and water below 20% and my pack with a five-day resupply adds on another 12 pounds in food and water, I don't have a lot to play with. So doing that sort of stuff can make sure that you're putting yourself in a position where your base weight is as low as it can be so that should you get somewhere where you need to add something on, you can afford to do so because you've done your legwork on the things that are going to be like the standard staples of your pack. Yeah, well said. And I think maybe a different spin on this, same thing that you're saying, is to measure the weights of the things that you're looking at using something like lighter pack. We have a gear tool at the track, not to promote us. Lighter pack's the definitely the industry standard. I didn't know you had a gear tool. Mm-hmm. We've never talked about this. I am a gear tool, but uh, I'm giving you a, I'm giving you an opportunity here. Props, tool. yeah. If you if you uh, join us as a blogger, this is a feature for you. Throw it into a Google spreadsheet, but like actually putting the numbers in will be very eye opening to you and give you an idea of the easiest areas to cut weight, especially if you're between two or three different gear items. Like you can plug and play different things to see what number it gets you to, or maybe if you have an excessive item, this, that, or the other. But yeah, good point. I think just a different way of stating it. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? Cool. No, that sounds good. Sweet. Yeah. Um, In that case, your turn. Yeah. So as we're talking about like specific weights of things, I'm going to give what's maybe a hot take Mm. um, and give like a specific suggestion of like a piece of gear to invest in mm. um where i think you can save the most weight because there, there's there's all this stuff of like like be careful about this with your water be like count this and, and all these different things but specifically like looking to get new gear i'm going to recommend that like of the big four items you get like your four heaviest things i think if you're going to invest in one thing i'm going to suggest a tent mm. of the four um i think that that's often a place where you you, you spend a couple hundred dollars and you could probably shave off like several pounds from what you could have, what either what you already have or what like an alternative is, um, which is pretty significant. You're saying dollar spent to weight save best ratio. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I think also the least risky in that, like if you had to resell something, if you like went out, hated it, like, God, I bought this tent. I think it'd be easier to get rid of a tent than it would be a pack that you sweated in or a sleeping bag. It's a really interesting and probably very accurate point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I'm curious what you guys think, but I think if you were to get one of the big four, like, or, or a pad being the fourth, um, I think I would go with a tent and it's like a fun thing too. like pick it out. Like I'm going to like, I'm going to have budget for a tent. It's going to be like your shelter, like your home the whole time. I feel like I'm going to suggest that's where you put your money. I like that because I, 
I, especially with, you know, I'm a very cold person, so I was very diligent about my quilt. But I could see people that are coming out to trail and getting that price tag shock of UL equipment saying something like, well, I already have a two-person tent. I'll just bring that, mm -hmm. right? And while, yes, that could work, if you're doing something like a long-distance hike, there, I'm a big fan of the trekking pole tents because you're already carrying the trekking poles. Unless you have a reason, like you're going somewhere that's super rocky and you you know need a freestanding or whatever the the reason might be for you to have a freestanding, you are already carrying the trekking poles. Save the weight on not again having redundancies, which would be a regular standard tent that you'd bring out on like a weekend in a national park that comes with its own poles that comes with things that you know you you could cut down on by getting a tent specifically meant for that purpose. I absolutely agree. So I just did a quick Google search to try to verify or break your points. And I just went, Coleman was the first thing that came to mind, right? Of like a cheap tent. You can get this mm -hmm. one that I'm looking at for $70, two-person tent. Uh, this is the Coleman Sundome two-person tent. No idea how popular this is, but to Chance's point, like if this is something that you already had because you used it for car camping, very easy to justify without knowing the things that we're talking about using this for a backpacking trip. The weight on this one is 7.2 pounds. So compare this with like, uh, let's see. The one, the one I've got in my head, uh, the first tent I got, I like, I, I put money into like my, my, my kit first time I set out on the AT. I got Gossamer gears, that iteration of the one. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was $300 at the time. I'm sure it's more now. And it was like 24 ounces is a pound and a half. So for 230 more dollars, you could have saved like almost six pounds. Right. That's pretty significant. Totally. Yeah, and that tent is large. Like you're not sacrificing space on that one, right? Yeah. Um, well, well, I have a little caveat to that in a second. But if if you don't feel comfortable with the trekking pole setup, trekking pole setup thing, um, which is a skill that you definitely have to acquire once you get this before you go on your backpacking trip. You oh, have to I practice set up this. mine the first day. <laughs> I didn't know that uh, that it was a one person tent, but it's. Uh, you watch a YouTube video. You can figure it out. You can definitely get it up, but if you hit inclement weather, I would question the average person's ability to set it up to the point where it'll provide you, it'll be safe and dry and all those things. But is the average person going out into those conditions on day one of their long distance hike? In average conditions? No, in ones that would be inclement. The AT can be pretty inclement. Yeah, I, night I, one? I, 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 yeah. Night two, I got wet in my one because I didn't set up great. But I survived. I was yeah. fine. Like, you yeah, figured it out. Figured it you out. learned what right. not to do. Right. I think it went like as poorly as possible, and I was fine. Yeah. This is a whole different point. And maybe this is a road that we should travel down. But this is one of those things where I totally agree with you. Your point is awesome about I, I, th I think a tent is very good money spent on weight savings. That said, for new backpackers, I tend to push them in the direction of a freestanding tent that the compromise here is you're not going to reach the certified ultralight status like that it will be more weight relative to the gossamer gear one z packs all the other options out there um a little bit heavier but kind of dummy proof like mm -hmm. anyone can set this up it it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how to do this thing well enough that it can withstand bad weather uh, which is the reason that i recommend it that being said i use a trekking pole tent um once it became more comfortable in the backcountry, I feel like I can get it nice and taut. I've done it in really inclement weather situations and it's held up. I know how to pick a campsite, all those good things. Uh, for new backpackers, I, I definitely tend to push them in the freestanding direction. That being said, if you want to save weight, 
then part of this is acquiring the skills to be ultralight to Carl's point. And this is a whole separate point. This is not even one that I've had on my list. Maybe we'll save it for a different episode, but yeah, I just wanted to take that tangent while it presented itself. Mm-hmm. I will say just if someone's listening to this and like trying to soak up all the knowledge they have, if I were to have a freestanding tent on trail, um, and there have been times where I've looked at the people next to me that had them and been quite envious example, when Ballflap lifts up the poles of his tent and shakes it and all the dirt falls out. I can't yeah. do that. Um, that's a luxury. Uh, that is a real envy. flex right there. But if I were to have anything, and you, you'll know better than I do, correct me if there's like a, a better one on the market these days, but I've always heard the Fly Creek is the lightest, um, most like good freestanding tent big yeah. a- it's big da- big agnes Ooh. yeah but both big agnes and nemo have a lot of good options as you say the hornet is yeah. also up there yep. okay mm-hmm. I, i've used the hornet as well i'm also a big fan of the big agnes tiger wall um i don't like the head entry on the fly creek but the fly creek is the lighter option so if you're trying to strike the balance of being very lightweight while having something that you're comfortable setting up fly creek is a great option um but yeah, to your point, being able to just grab the thing once the stakes are out and flip it upside down mm-hmm. and, and get it clean is pretty nice because yeah, I just got done using my trekking pole tent in a very sandy area and it's kind of about you flip it inside out and you don't know which way is which. It, it's definitely not as easy. What was funny is I have the, you didn't say Hornet. Did you say Hornet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I So I had the Hornet that they had before. It was like an ultralight one. I'm now looking and seeing that they've started making them ultralight. Um, I had the Hornet and I still use it when I go car camping on the weekends and I got it at REI like eight years ago. Great tent. Um, my boyfriend who does not backpack, we got camping one weekend and he asked if I remembered the tent because I was adamant it was in the car and it wasn't. Um, my Z-Pax duplex was in the car. So I was like, good news and bad news. Bad news, I don't have the Nemo. Good news, I do have a tent. Um, he was not a fan of the small amount of luxury that you give up to not have a freestanding yeah, tent. Yeah, certainly for car camping, uh, I always use one of my freestanding tents just because yeah. it's, yeah, there's no reason to. But again, temporary. Yeah, totally. Car camping is a different conversation yeah. as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, again, this is the this will be a theme that I'm sure keeps popping up. There's trade-offs with all this stuff. If you want to save weight, trekking pole tent is definitely your route. But there are some caveats to that that you should be aware of. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I yeah. do think that's a place where you – because I can't think of any – they probably do exist, but I, probably not at many outfitters, like seven-pound sleeping bags. Right. Like that is probably a pretty rare thing to exist. Um, You should see my Coleman sleeping bag. That is my, it seven? It's eight. No shit. My, yeah, my uncle got it for me when I worked at the summer camp, and it's like a square neck. It It, it is – it's a lot. Yeah. Um, But it's comfortable. Anyway, one more thing I was going to say is – I don't know why I'm even thinking of this, but I'm thinking about like how I can make my pack lighter while we're talking about this. <laughs> and one thing I I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. I won't get a one pole free a one pole trekking pole tent. I for me that's my little bit that I am not ready to give up yet. I'm yeah. willing to try one and see if I like it. I've tried the Six Moon Designs one when I was in another person's tent is for that a bit. Is, what is it? The popular. Lunar solo? Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't mine. Um, but 
it just is not fun if there's any sort of weather and it's you know you've got all these triangle roof that what am i what's the word i'm looking for the roof slants down too quickly on too many sides sure. with one pole okay um i've never used a single pole uh trekking pole tent so i don't know if you have carl it's stupid yeah i was in the altiplex like the the long version of the one person that z-fax makes last year uh and that it was all right i wasn't in weather too much for it okay. i'll say um it got like i mean i don't know like there's condensation that's with all those types of tents uh but it, it was it was all right i did okay in it so maybe let's put that caveat in like look at where you're going yeah <laughs> yeah 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 that's fair Knowing your terrain is very important. So, yeah, I think for brand new backpackers, always better to err on the side of going with the safer, potentially a little bit heavier option. And these are just things to keep in the back of your mind as you are on trail, noticing what other people use and just having in the back of your mind for ways that you could potentially level up. Have you ever used a bivy? No. no I'd be down to try, though. Yeah. I know, obviously, if you're very hardcore about this stuff, that's the way to go. Or even more hardcore is just using the straight tarp setup. Mm -hmm. How do you use that? I've tried a tarp. Yeah. How, how do you like that? I did. I, I like, I carried it when I, the first time I hiked the PCT, I carried it for the whole desert and I set it up like the first two nights and then cowboy camp the whole time mm -hmm. and then got a tent for the Sierra and then had a tent the rest of the time. Cause then I got up to where there's bugs and everything and like, oh, I want to hang on to this tent. So I carried a tarp and mostly cowboy camp. So it was nice to like save the weight in the desert and then swap, but I, I'd never had to really rely on it. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm I'm absolutely out on tarp tents because if I'm going to bring a tarp- to, to, Just to clarify, because there's a brand called Tarp Tents. Oh, You're yeah. not referring to that. You're referring am, to just tarps as a shelter. I am out on using a tarp as my shelter because I, I know myself, I will do the least steps possible to get to the end result. If I'm already sleeping outside and there's no barrier between me and the bears, I'm just going to cowboy camp. And I get it's different if it's raining. If it's raining, I'm not bringing a tarp as a tent. Um, that's just not my comfort levels. If it's buggy, I'm not thinking to do that. But mainly, it's I want that extra thin piece of cloth to give me some false sense of security against what's in there and what's out there. And that's something that I don't think I'll ever wrap my head around. Yeah. I would rather, I would, I would just cowboy camp. I cowboy camped all throughout the PCT. I'm not going to take the extra effort to set up something over my head. And I would venture to guess that a large percentage of people who are the bona fide ultralighter, 10 pound or less base weight, use tarps as tents. Like, I think that's one of those necessary trade-offs. There's, there, there's just the people out there that are like so comfortable in the wilderness. They're fine with the idea of a spider crawling across yeah. their face or whatever it might be. They're, Good for you. Yeah. Uh, and these are some of the trade-offs you have to make if you want to get like freakishly light. Um, Glenn Van Pesky said that he had a base weight of like sub six pounds, I want to say, when mm -hmm. we interviewed him. Like these are the things that you have to do to get there. And everyone's yeah. got to discover where their comfort threshold is. Right. Just like I'm saying I'm not going to bring moisturizer because I, I can do less for six months. I can't do that much less. I can't not have at least a net between me and the elements. And so that for me could be moisturizer for someone else. Figure out what you can and can't do. Yeah. And I'd say with the, with like the, the tarp versus tent, I, I found that like even, even beyond like the, like the, the safety component of like, it feels good. That there's a wall here. I found that like on, over the course of a through hike, it felt, um, uh, a tarp felt like a shelter, but a tent felt like a home. 
Oh, I love like that. at the end of the day, like it just even if I don't feel safer, I just feel like cozier and like the my like the full surroundings feel the same. You know, you can like open up a flap and kind of see the stars a bit. But if like for, for that long a time, like I could get by on a tarp, but how much time I spend in it, it like it feels homier to be in a tent. And so like I'd, I'd, I'd be more likely to take, I think, like a tarp on a short trip than a through hike because I spend so much time in it. I want it to feel kind of like home. Yeah, I agree with that completely, especially on more popular trails. There are sometimes you're around people a lot as counterintuitive as that might be there are sometimes i just want to go away you know like i want i, I want to be here but i also want to go away and if i go in my tent and i zip it down i'm away right versus if i'm just chilling under a tarp i don't feel like i'm in my own room you know and as a as a full-fledged introvert in a lot of senses i need to be able to go away and then on some of these trails, like you get into the hostels and a lot of times, like maybe a hostel's full and you got to set up your tent on a yard or something mm-hmm. and like setting up a tarp in the middle of a yard where there's tents like all around you in the grass is like way less cozy than it. like, oh, at least I got my tent. Yeah, exactly. Yep. This is making me realize that uh, I should have, because one of the questions we asked with the AT through hiker survey, which is one of the pieces of content that I think is the greatest thing that we do at the trek is we ask about satisfaction with gear used and I should look up um, at least the most recent year for satisfaction of shelter types, which is one thing we asked. I will say we're we're trying to expand on our one minute gear review segment where we're reaching out to brands to test out different types of gear to then give feedback, kind of like we did with Backcountry Meal Critics. I would be willing to try out a tarp for a night. This is like this is me really <laughs> putting myself out there as much as I'm done. I would be willing to try out a tarp for a night to see if I change my mind. Um, and that's that's the biggest step in that direction I'm willing to go. I will go outdoors for a night. You just sleep not, in your backyard? Not, no, that doesn't count. Okay. I, I need to be where there are scary things like mountain lions and bears. You can sleep in my backyard and we'll throw stuff at you yeah, while you're the, sleeping. The twins come at me. <laughs> yeah, that's um, actually the scariest thing. They just crawl in. That's, <laughs> that's fear-inducing. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I'd be willing to try a tarp for a night to see if I change my mind on that. At this current point, my base weight is low enough where I'm not willing to compromise there. Yeah. So I looked up the satisfaction of shelter used. And if you add, there's six categories, very dissatisfied, dissatisfied, somewhat dissatisfied, somewhat satisfied, satisfied, and very dissatisfied, or very satisfied rather. Um, The trekking pole tent has the highest number of, if you add a very dissatisfied, dissatisfied, and somewhat dissatisfied, we'll just call that dissatisfied, that that has the highest number of dissatisfied people. Ironically enough, the bivy sack was the most satisfied. This is why I don't think you can always take numbers at face value because I would venture to guess that somebody who's using a bivy sack has probably done a good amount of backpacking in the past. They've got the experience. So this is why I've never been a numbers person because there's always a story behind the numbers that needs to be interpreted. And that would be my interpretation here. I'll give you some unsolicited um, suggestions from me. What you should add on to that also is percent of time that you considered switching to something else. I'm actually guessing we have a question on this. There's like an infinite number of uh, directions that we could take the data, but that's actually, I think, an interesting one. Because like I could get a tarp tent and be somewhat dissatisfied the whole time, or I could be like mildly satisfied, but then every night be like, damn, I wish I had a tent. Mm -hmm. I know we have a question about 
when people switch what they switch to. Mm. So I should figure out what that is. I'm not gonna. Uh, is there one that's how much time you spend on average in your shelter ooh. each night? That'd be interesting. No, too. we don't. I'm pretty sure we don't ask that question, but that's an interesting one because that would be an interesting correlation as well. Let me take a note. We're adding new questions every year just based on these sorts of conversations. Uh, time spent in shelter. Don't mind me. I'm doing work or yeah, a podcast. Just waiting for my check. And this, yeah, uh, yeah this uh, <laughs> this poll was featured on ESPN one time. Was on, it? Uh, yeah, on Veterans Day a few years ago, they did a write up on Akuna. And oh. they like quoted his date, like data from the year he hiked the AT and they used wow. the, the trek. Oh, no shit. Well, yeah. So oh, it was quoted like on the ESPN app. It that's was like funny. the trek. I told all my family I was on ESPN because <laughs> I had filled out the survey that year. That's funny. Not to brag, but I've also quoted this poll in Hiking from Home, one of the top Ooh. books in the world. Oprah mentioned it several yeah. times. <laughs> uh yeah, no, the, the Thraker surveys are awesome. Spearheaded by former PhD in statistics, Mariposa, and now Katie is taking the reins here. But these are these are really, really, really well done. Um, they help for research too, not to give you too many compliments in a short period of time. But if you're looking up like weights and comparing things like is on topic with this conversation, that's a good place to go to get some reassurance. Yeah, I mean, the things that we usually cover on this podcast are like, what was the most popular brand? What was the most popular model? Like that's the lowest hanging fruit, but there's so many more interesting nuances, like the thing that we just talked about and things that we could be doing. So thank you for the suggestion. Um, okay, I'm gonna go to my next point here. And so the biggest thing with ultralight is removing redundancy, right? Like you don't need one, or you don't need two objects that, serve the same purpose. And uh, in my limited experience with working with people I do through hiking coaching, I generally discourage people from doing that. When people reach out to me, I say, here's seven links that probably answer your question, but if you want my time, do it this way. But for the rare instances where that happens, the biggest redundancy that I often see is with clothing. People just bring too many clothes. And this is, I think, maybe somewhat obvious. Like I definitely, when I first brought together my gear list for Ian Mangiardi, who was my guru before setting out for the AT, I just had probably twice as much stuff as I needed, and especially in the clothing department. The, the common things that people have too much of, you know, they've got three pairs of underwear, four pairs of socks, two shirt options, a rain jacket, and a soft shell jacket, et cetera. Like there's a lot of different combinations of things that you can do that are redundant. But the sooner that you get used to the fact that you're going to be disgusting at all times and your clothes are not going to provide any salvation, save maybe, and this will be an interesting sidebar about what you guys do for camp clothing. So I know there's different <laughs> camps for that. Um, but for the AT at least, I had a sacred pair of uh, socks and underwear, just like a clean thing that I had. And then um, any day that I was hiking into town, I would wear those clean things in just because they were the least disgusting and they made me feel good as I got into town. Um, but otherwise, aside from that, just assume that everything that you're wearing, that's not like life-saving. So like your down jacket, obviously you're not going to ever get wet. Um, it's going to get gross. And you don't want multiples of it because the, the biggest thing, and this goes back to Chance's first point, I think, is just accepting the fact that you're going to be a disgusting piece of shit. So for three-season backpacking, this is a very rudimentary, simplified version of how I view my clothing system, and I'll be very interested to get your guys' take on this as well. But the way that I look at it is this is for three-season backpacking. Again, I'm not talking about winter stuff, and there's going to be variances depending on the terrain and climate and whatnot. But a base layer, a mid-layer, an insulating layer, 
a rain layer, zero to two pairs of underwear and two to three pairs of socks. And I've definitely talked to people who've gotten away with one. That's a little too much, too little for my taste. Um, and then if you're in really cold environments and kind of depending on if your clothing has hoods or not, maybe a beanie and gloves, that's it. For clothing, that should be it. And like when I tell that to the people that, that I coach, it oftentimes blows their mind, even with like the infinite amount of resources out there on the trek or anywhere, any any good backpacking resource is gonna point you generally in that direction. People are always like shocked that they shouldn't have a separate set of clothing for when they get to town or two jackets or enough underwear that they have a clean pair for every day that they're hiking. Like there's no such thing as a clean pair of underwear. If you're in a humid environment and it's hot, you're going to be sweating through your shit and swamp assing within no time. If you're in a dry environment like the PCT, your socks are going to be dirty, brown, black, disgusting within an hour of hiking, probably less than that. Like you just have to get used to the fact that you're going to be very gross. Your clothes are not going to provide you cleanliness at all. All they do is provide you function, warmth, dryness, etc. cetera. Um, so that said, anything that you guys want to add to that point? I just wrote out all of the clothes I carry and it doesn't really change. Um, like, and I, you I have think categories for these things or is it just no. like specific? If you have enough stuff that you have categories, you have too much stuff. That's my take. Well, you'll understand when I say you it. could say when I say base layer for me, that's usually depends on the environment. But like a short sleeve merino shirt is my go to. You'll I've understand when I say okay, it. go for it. Um, so like, for example, and I like I'm at one side of the scale here, right? Like I, I think that I am more comfortable with this. Like if I could exchange comfort points for how comfortable I am being filthy versus how comfortable I am sleeping under a tarp, I would be a well-balanced human. But that's not the way my scales were tipped. And so thank God I'm already in a relationship and he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> um, how many pairs of underwear do I bring? I don't. Ask me if I'm wearing underwear while I'm hiking. Chances are I'm going to say no. Quick, What's quick the aside, fucking point? Do you have a liner in your shorts? Maybe. It depends on the shorts. Okay. Sometimes no. Sometimes a breeze is just nice. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm not bringing shorts because I'm bringing leggings, depending on the trail. Right. And I'm just not. I'm not. If they get dirty, if they, I'm, if I go to put them on and I look at them and I'm like, ugh, like I'll wash them. We cross so much water. If we can, if we can keep ourselves hydrated all day, we could take a water bottle away to a corner and we can wash out our shit. Um, so my full kit is usually a sports bra and a shirt or just a shirt. That differentiation goes by how in shape I am because the boobs shrink the more in shape I am. Mm, and when less they need for bra. less need for bra. For so example, is it more ultralight to not have boobs or have smaller boobs? No, because I could also wear a tank top with a built-in bra. Okay. Like they have built-ins. Yeah. Um, it's not really a thought I have. It's just more so do I like what shirt do I want to wear? Do I want to wear a Hawaiian shirt? If so, I'll need a bra to wear under it. Do I want to wear just a tank top? Fine. Do I feel like I need a bra in this? That's a game time decision. Okay. Currently, no bra. No one's called me out so on it yet. We're calling today. this base layer. You can also call it active layer. This, yeah, guess, this is my loose. this is my mobile layer. Um, yeah. but it gets deeper than that. Then, so that's my top half. Bottom half: shorts or leggings, depending on trail. For example, um, I don't like hiking in long pants if it's hot. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going on a trail that's going to be hot during the day, it's always going to be shorts over leggings. Mm -hmm. If I'm going somewhere that it's going to be cold all the time, this is a very rare instance, 
it's going to be leggings over shorts. I'm not bringing both. Mm -hmm. Reason being, if I'm in between the two, I have a base layer, long sleeve shirt and long sleeve pant. These are usually merino or some sort of, what's the Patagonia type called? Just one of the, the capoline. Yeah, the like capoline. A, a variety of I like the capoline. So I'll usually. Quick, quick question for you. And maybe this is something worth bringing up, but if you're in a hot environment, let's just call it an exposed environment, and you're wearing shorts, does that mean you're off potentially offsetting the weight with sunscreen? Um, no. I'm going for the inconvenience of putting on a layer over it and just being temporarily too hot. Um, but I thought I, maybe I misunderstood. Let, let, let me go through the list okay, first, and okay. then we'll take questions. If it's if I'm hiking through the desert, yes, I'm going to bring a tube of sunscreen. If I'm hiking through, are you wearing shorts or pants in the desert? Shorts. I'll okay. bring sunscreen. I'll put a little sunscreen on my thighs. Okay. That's not offsetting any weight because you won't catch me in long pants in the desert unless I'm dead and someone has taken off my pants yeah. and replaced them. By the way, I'm in your same camp. I prefer shorts in hot environments. But yeah. two things, I do carry usually probably more than the average person's amount of sunscreen. I also have very hairy legs. But I won't. But I don't correlate the sunscreen to the shorts because the sunscreen I'm carrying if I'm in the desert. I'm carrying it if I'm in exposed temperatures or ex exposed climates, it doesn't have to do with if I'm in shorts or in leggings. So that that doesn't play a part in it. That just, I'm, I'm bringing it. I'm a ginger okay. if I'm there. Um, so shorts or leggings, depending on the trail. If I'm, if I'm anywhere in between, I'll go with shorts because I know I'm more comfortable in them. And we'll hop back to that in a second. I'll bring two to three pairs of socks. One I'll try to save for sleeping until I get to like the night before or the night before the night before town. Yeah, and then th that becomes my crunchy layer. Yeah. Then I have one base layer that's long sleeves and long pants um, that we just talked about, the capoline or a merino. So is this your sleep layer? This is if I'm cold. Okay. So it's not I sleep in it every night. I sleep in that outfit I just mentioned. So the clothes I, don't come off. I will break off. this into categories just because I think it's helpful for the listener. Okay. The, clothes don't a, come off. It's a, it sounds like you have both a base layer and an active layer. Sometimes I use, depending on the temperatures, I'll use a base layer as a mid-layer conceptually, even though it is technically a base but, layer. But but my active layer doesn't come off. If I get cold, I put the base layer over it. Reason so you're being, putting like a long sleeve merino shirt over, over your button-up Hawaiian shirt? No, in that case, I would have a bra. So it would go over the bra. Okay. Um, or if I'm just wearing a tank top like I did on the AT, um, then it would go over the tank top. Okay. Reason being, I'm the type of person where I won't get out of bed in the morning if I'm cold. Yeah. So I like to already have my hiking outfit on and then my warm layer that I can take off while I'm moving. So for all intents and purposes, I think you're using a base layer the same way that I do. Technically, that's kind of a mid layer because it's yes. not neck to skin. Correct. Next to skin. My, my base layer is what is glued to my body, which yeah. is my bra or shirt and my shorts or leggings. Mm -hmm. That is glued to my body. I, I don't take them off when I'm not in town. And that you can do with what you want in your brain and how you think of me. I don't take them off. Yeah. It helps me get out of my tent in the morning. Mm -hmm. The base layer, which we can call mid-layer, that will go on if I'm cold while I'm sleeping. I'll put it on. I'll wake up cold if that's the case, and I'll hike in it until I start to build up some body heat. And then when I'm warm enough, I'll usually take off one part first and then I'll get warmer and I'll take off the other part. Bam, my hiking outfit's already on because I never took it off. Um, from there, I'll carry a puffy jacket with a hood. Insulating layer. And sometimes puffy pants because I get very cold. Still insulating layer. Those will go on over the mid layer if I'm sleeping and I'm cold. Mm -hmm. So again, we're not taking things off, we're just adding things on. And then I wake up, I'm less cold than I would be. 
I'll hike in those until I start to warm up and then I'll take them off again layer by layer. Mm-hmm. I'll bring half a buff. I think a full buff is claustrophobic. Okay. I don't know why they make them so long. Yeah. Paired with the hood of the puffy jacket, if I'm ever cold enough to need a hat, I've got the puffy hood and I've got the hugging buff to the ears. And that I'm guessing works. you've got a rain jacket as well. Yep. Next, I'll bring a rain poncho because that covers more. With a hood. With a hood. And rain pants, depending on the trail. I brought rain pants that were Montbell on the AT. They barely weighed a thing. Gloves, depending on the trail. Down booties, depending on the trail. Yeah. That is it. So I think we're lying. Those are all the categories I had mentioned. But you switch out stuff. I don't, I don't really know other people that sleep, wake up, sleep, wake up, sleep in the same outfit. I don't take it off. Oh, I don't. No, I, I, I definitely don't do that. The only thing I'll, I will sometimes switch out, especially if I've like sweated a lot, is I'll have like a dedicated pair of sleep underwear. Like I just don't want to sleep in soggy underwear. See, that's where you, that's where it comes in handy to not bring any. Yeah. Well, and you don't get any. I, I also think it just depends on how much you sweat. Because even on this last trip where it was very hot, a drier climate, I didn't change out my underwear a single time on trail. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I for me, I think a lot of people hang on to the cleanly factor. Like that's one of the be a, like do less. Yeah, a lot of people hang so, on to the. So cleanliness. my sleep recommendation has almost nothing to do with the cleanly factor. That can be helpful psychologically. More to do with the warm factor. Like if your base layer is wet, you want something dry to sleep in. But if you get to camp and have dinner at camp and like get ready for bed, chances are it's dried off with you. Not it depends. I mean, it depends on how sweaty you are. For me, yeah. For me, by the time I go to bed, it has dried off with me. Versus, if I were to switch into a separate sleep outfit, it wouldn't have my body heat to dry it off, and it would probably still be a little damp in the morning. Yeah, I've been plenty of times where I roll into camp. It's dark. It's cool outside. My underwear is so- soaking wet just because I've been climbing mountains and I sweat very easily. And uh, although maybe not necessarily an inherent risk. It's just one of those things where like having a dedicated pair of dry underwear is a very small weight penalty for something that can both be beneficial from a psychological standpoint, also a warmth standpoint. Yeah, I've got, I mean, I have had, I'm not saying I don't sweat. That would be a big claim. I've gotten times where I've gotten to camp late. I've done night hiking. I've been really sweaty and I haven't wanted to sleep in it because it is wet. In those instances, I'll just take off that layer and I'll put on just the base layer. So yeah. there is a backup option. But for me, I feel like anything more than that is a I'm redundancy. less likely to have a dedicated pair of underwear if I have leggings. Leggings for me tend to go because my legs get so hot when I hike. And oftentimes I have at least a pair of wind pants if the weather is going to be cold at all. So there's that, that's where this is one of those areas where yeah. like the, the climate and terrain makes a huge difference. If some, I'm on something like the AT and it's early season, I will have rain pants. If I'm on the PCT, I'll probably use wind pants because they will, in the rare instances where I'm likely to encounter rain, the wind pants will keep me dry long enough, warm long enough, et cetera. And that's where you're never going to get one right answer is because everyone is, same thing with how much water you drink. Everyone's body temperature is different. Everyone's like temperature that they sleep at or do whatever at is different. The fact that I feel claustrophobic hiking in long pants is probably something that a lot of people don't feel. I'm sure there's a therapist that could tell me why that is the case. Um, I actually think in the through hiking world, it's pretty common. I feel like one of the easiest ways to discern a through hiker from day hiker to someone who's even like a very experienced backpacker, but not necessarily through hiking is I feel like shorts are a pretty telltale thing. And maybe this is more so for 
West Coast, although I guess it would be even more applicable on the East Coast. Well, we're always moving. We're hiking all day. So less breaks is less times to get cold. Yeah. I just also feel like there's like a cultural component to it where through hikers pride themselves on showing a little leg. It's definitely grown with the men. Yeah, for sure. Like for girls, it's always, I feel like shorts, leggings, or now there's certain pants that are in style. But with guys, I think there, there is a point on the PCT, which is my first hike, where you get to a certain spot on trail and the guys are slowly in towns looking for the shortest shorts they can find because it becomes like a status. I'm just thinking from trail days 2013 to trail days now, the shorts have gotten shorter. It's like the They rever- do get shorter. It's, it's, it's a status. That's what I'm NBA. saying. It's a status. Yeah. NBA want- in the 80s was like you could ba- basically see their junk to then it went down to their knees. I think it's kind of settled somewhere in the middle. We've not been on, not about, on trail. Let, let's let the professor yeah. weigh in on this one. How much thigh do you like to show? Yeah. I um <clears throat> well, I just got a pair of, of women's shorts from Zach. Mm-hmm. So a decent amount. <laughs> yeah. Um and I two and a half inch inseams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Right. That's like just right. Um yeah, and I, I've got, I don't know, a lot of similar opinions, a lot of similar things to you guys. I think just to avoid a lot of redundancies, lots of similar stuff. I don't always bring like um, a long sleeve mid-layer. That's something that I, I leave out sometimes, or I, I'll do that or a puffy, depending like, especially like hiking through like the Southeast in the summer most of the time. Like when I hiked the AT um, in 2018, I started April 22nd. I had a puffy for two weeks and then sent it home and then never got it back. Mm. Like it just wasn't necessary. So sometimes like those extra top layers I don't need. And I found I use like my rain jacket a lot as like my morning yeah. layer that I hiked in. So instead of having like a mid layer, I would just wear my rain jacket and I would like, it'd be enough to keep me warm. And then I'd hike and like heat up really quickly in it. Cause I couldn't, my body didn't breathe super well. And then I take it off and then I'm warm enough that I, I can usually just go for a while. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, a great a rain point. Jacket yeah, is. I'm, good... I'm perfectly aligned with that, especially mm-hmm. if you're the, I, I think guys in general produce probably more mm-hmm. body heat from exercise. I, I that's probably something that they can get away with more often. And I'm definitely mm-hmm. in the same camp. Yeah, and I do. I agree. If you're on a summery trail, like if you're going to go hike Shenandoah in July, you're not going to need the mid-layer merino and a puffy. Right. And yeah, and, and even just like having either of those, just being able to add a rain jacket keeps in enough heat and it's just, it's just not going to get cold enough down there. Um, I, I do take wind pants year-round. I think wind pants are awesome. Um, even when it's like rainy, like in... You know, you still get wet, but they retain so much warmth while you're wearing them. Those are big. And then I'm a big fan. This is like almost clothes, almost other gear. I'm big on having a sleeping bag liner. Really? Um, yeah. I'm big on a silk sleeping bag liner. They The one from sea to summit weighs like four and a half ounces. And so like that to me, that takes place of like I wore a sleep shirt for a while. I had one and like a third pair of socks that I would sleep in. Like the weight of those two things combined is more than like a silk sleeping bag liner. And is especially it? like that's surprising to me. Yeah, yeah, because the, the silk switch off. the silk liners like four point four ounces, mm-hmm. and then like a Patagonia Capoline tees two point seven, and then like Smartwool socks are like two point two. Huh. So it's it's like lighter than having both of those. Yeah. Or even like a pair of socks, an extra pair of underwear, yeah. and then that. Like even like on the AT, it was great. And then on the PCT, maybe even more because like your legs are so filthy at the end of the day. Like instead of trying to like cover that up or try to wash your legs off, like I just like put my whole like sweaty, dirty body into a silk liner. And then I don't think about it at all. My quilts have lasted super long doing that. Sure. Um, And you can throw the liner into the washing machine. Exactly. Right. You wash it every time you're in town. It's like it's a laundry bag in town. Like, uh, you know, I've stayed in hotels and like taken everybody's laundry in one of these, to, like hmm. go in and out. That's brave. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you're washing it. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I know. But even psychologically, there's <laughs> yeah. something there. And sometimes there's been like a few people. And anyways, I'm, I'm big on the sleeping bag liner. Like they're, they're light. 
Um, and they, they give me like the, the psychological comfort at night that like, I can, I can strip down, I can keep what I have on whatever, um, and keep everything else clean by just putting myself in this like kind of clean proof, like basically. Yeah. I will say, so I carried, um, I carried the fleece liner for a bit at the start of the PCT. I felt like it made me colder. And I think that is just a me thing. On the flip side, I will say when I saw people on the AT that had the silk liner, that when I'm, I've got my quilt fully unzipped and I've got both legs, both arms out. Like I'm mm-hmm. trying to, I like to sleep under a blanket. It's just, I can't sleep without that. But I'm also so hot. I want nothing touching me. The people that could just put away their sleeping bag and just sleep in the liner on those really hot nights, yep. they were living a life that I could only <laughs> dream of. Yeah, I had a few nights on the AT um, in like July in Virginia where I just put my entire sleeping pad into the sleeping bag yeah. liner and laid on top of it because I was sweating so much. Oh, I'm, I was I'm just like jealous thinking down about this. on top of it so that my pad didn't get like soaked. Um, it was just like a barrier between the pad and my body sweating because it just it gets so hot sometimes down there yeah Yeah. i'm I'm, my ac is currently out at my house and it's been Mm. very hot in denver so i i'm coming through life right now from the same perspective i was going through the shenandoah in the middle of the summer with which is just hot sleep is the worst sleep yeah it's it's awful Mm -hmm. yeah this is an interesting this is uh somewhat congruent with the uh, baby rattlesnake conversation that we had um, where I've heard the wives tale that it's warmer to sleep in a sleeping bag naked. And I haven't been able to find a like concise, factual answer anywhere. And I've done both, but this is like a very difficult scientific experiment to run. Conceptually, it seems insane that less, less material would actually make you warmer. But I, I've talked to smart backpackers who swear by it, and I don't... I, my gut tells me that that is probably wrong, but I'm open to the possibility of that being right. Ski crowd also goes with don't wear two pairs of socks while skiing because huh. your feet will be colder. Yeah. Um. I I like to sleep naked. Again, if you come find me in my tent, I will stab you. Um, <laughs> feel weird saying that. Um, check out that episode we did. But um, I love sleeping naked. I yeah. think it's just way more comfortable. If I'm cold on trail, I'm putting on everything I have. I will sleep in my rain layer on top of everything in my quilt. And I, I don't, maybe it's psychological. I feel warmer. Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt that it can be psychological. Like there's got to be a right answer to this. And maybe there's a good scientific study to show that uh, one is just true. And I haven't encountered it yet. But my gut tells me that the naked sleeping warmer thing is probably bullshit. But like I'm holding out the sliver of possibility that maybe there's some truth to it. I, I think there could be a psychological component to it. I like I got I feel like I got a pretty good sample size last year. And like in general, the more clothes I wore, like the better it fought the cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it felt like it made sense. That makes sense to me. Sounds like we'll get a nice mailbag off of this. Good point. I hope we do. Uh, podcast at the track.co if you're like a you insulation any... scientist of some kind. Oh, and an in that case, come to Denver. I yeah. want to talk to an insulation scientist. Yeah. You know that we love a good poop story here at Backpacker Radio, but Backcountry Dookie isn't all fun and games. In fact, many of the waterways that pass through our most cherished backcountry destinations are feeling the impacts of increased human waste. Enter PACT. PACT Outdoors is on a mission to make backcountry bathroom practice more sustainable. 
and they're doing it using fungi. Pact has a variety of offerings that make backcountry BMs more sustainable, but the two I'd like to focus on here are their mycelium tabs and wipes. Pact tabs are small wooden discs inoculated with mycelium, which is the root system for fungi, nature's great decomposer, and it branches out underground decomposing organic material. Pact's species breaks down poop in the ground faster while killing harmful pathogens like E. coli that can contaminate waterways, harm wildlife, and impact public health. Add three pack tabs to the cat hole, fill with dirt, and the tabs go to work decomposing the waste and converting it into food for other microorganisms in the soil. The packed wipes are a dehydrated compressed puck about the size of a bottle cap, and when you add a small squirt of water, it unfolds into a thick nine inch towel. Because the wipes are made from plant-based compounds without the additives found in toilet paper and conventional wipes, they break down faster in the soil, especially with the addition of the packed tabs. In a nutshell, PACT offers a full system for offsetting the unwanted byproducts of our backcountry bowel movements. Discount time! Backpacker Radio listeners can get 20% off all PACT orders plus free shipping with code TREK20 at checkout. That's TREK, the number 20, at checkout at PACTOutdoors.com. That's P-A-C-T Outdoors.com. Do not sleep on this deal as it's only good for a limited time. With that being said, we are getting long-winded here. Let's get to our last points. I had a couple of points lined up, but we'll just keep it to three per person. Cool. Uh, so you guys can dish your last ones. All right, my last one. This is a hot take. You're not not into your hobbies just because they don't you don't bring them with you. So for me on the PCT, I was like super into photography. I was coming off doing a lot of freelancing, um, and I just. Like, I'm going to see all these great sites. I'm going to do this whole thing. I'm not going to document it. I'm not going to make videos. I love making videos. Like, what am I? I'm not going to bring my good camera that I I just bought a lighter one for this trail. I've got to bring it, right? I didn't freaking use it at all because I was so t- Hiking took every ounce of effort out of me that I didn't have any energy left to give to that hobby because it took everything I had just to make it through a day and get to the next day. It was so much harder than I expected it would be that I didn't have time for that hobby. I brought a book. I thought I'd be sitting there reading. I did not have time to read because I was, it was so hard to get to where I wanted to get to for camp because I was so tired and I was hiking so much slower than I thought. And it just hurt so much. I didn't have time. And for me, I couldn't talk myself out of not bringing that camera until I got a hundred miles of not using it that I could send it home because I felt like I don't have like do I really enjoy doing this if I would go do something like this and I wouldn't bring that with me you know like take any hobby a person would have do I love painting if I would go do something like this and I'm not going to bring a sketchbook and my watercolors do I love photography if I'm not going to go do something like this and I'm not going to bring my camera and my two lenses do I love you know, taking videos if I'm going to leave my GoPro at home? Do I love playing the guitar if I'm not going to bring at least a ukulele? There's so many things that this could apply to where you feel like my hobbies are phony baloney if I leave them behind on something this epic. And sometimes the hike itself is hard enough with where being able to do that is the accomplishment itself, not the hobbies on top of it right? Like just eat the ice cream, don't have the toppings. And if you can add the toppings later on, if you can then send your camera to you and you say, hey, I got this, great, send it to you. 
but books, instruments, tablets, cameras, just shit that we feel like, like I can't leave that behind because it's just, it, it is who I am. No, hiking is who you are right now. Getting to make sure that you can actually complete this trail and do it if you haven't done one before and you don't know what to expect, that should be your first priority. If you can add on stuff on top of that, great. But this is a huge undertaking. A lot of people don't make it. A lot of people can't complete it. And it, it, there, it has a very low success rate for a lot of people. Get your ground, like your solid footing first and get a hold on what you are doing and have that be enough where you don't need to add a hobby on top of it to feel like you are who you are, you know? Because I think a lot of people add extra weight in all those categories and you can't talk them out of it because it's their passion. Fine. But this is a really, really hard thing. Get a feel for it first and then add that stuff on if you really need to. Yeah. And I think this goes back to the thing about trade-offs between being ultralight and doing the thing that you want to do with your hike. Because for a lot of people, these luxury hobby items will be worth it for them. Like every year we encounter people on trail that are carrying like a small guitar or something but, to that effect. But to be able to hike the AT, for example, that's a huge thing. You don't need to be the guy that hiked the AT and played the guitar on the AT. You could just be the guy that hiked the AT. I don't know if I agree with that. If, if, you don't, if we're talking if, specifically in a UL context. But if you don't yes. know, you can do it yet. If you haven't done one before, if you don't if you don't know your success rate, is it worth adding the extra weight right from the get-go? Like for me, at least for me, it didn't make me any less of a photographer when I got home to take the few months without it. Same thing goes with the face wipes and the moisturizer. Just because I'm not town me, it's temporary. It doesn't mean it's not there for me when I get back. I'm not giving up a part of myself by not bringing it. And then I, and the other thing that I struggled with was I beat myself up for having it and not using it. Oh, I like photography, but I'm not even going to stay up and take a time lapse at Eagle Rock, like forcing myself to stay up past people so that I could get when the stars are coming out so I could take it when I barely can take footsteps because my legs are in so much pain just to prove to myself that like, I love this thing as much as I think I do. You know, and I think a lot of us define ourselves and our worth on our hobbies. And this is a big enough undertaking on its own where you don't always need to add that stuff on. Yeah. Um, I This is one where I think I maybe disagreed the most. And, and it, it depends on your passion for the hobby because I started the AT with a harmonica. I thought maybe this would be a great opportunity to get, get a harmonica. First thing that got sent home. Um, physical books got sent home, yada, yada, yada. But I've been exposed to enough hikers that are the guitar hiker that are, we just interviewed Heidi that brought her watercolor paintings. But what percent are those of the overall total percentage? But I'm not speaking to averages. I'm speaking to like, if you're listening to this and you have a hobby that you're very passionate about, um, sometimes it's worth bucking the UL trend to do the thing that you're very passionate about. This is a great litmus test to find out how passionate you are about the hobby because I also know plenty of backpackers that carry 10 pounds of weight for camera gear and like that's the reason that they hike. The hike is secondary to the hobby. For you, the hike was the primary thing and there's nothing wrong with one way or the other. It's just a matter of figuring out who you are. So, But couldn't you also go with Professor's method of wait and see if you need it before you send it. You don't need to start with it. I don't know if there's an advantage to one way or the other. On the AT, you get to mountain crossings on day three. Like You can certainly handle carrying the extra weight for those three days I did. wasn't a big deal. It's a very, like Everybody's got stories from sending home their excessive items then. I, I don't think it makes that big of a difference one way or the other for three days. Um, 
but you know, I, I guess my point is like, if there's a thing that you're very passionate about that you think pairs explicitly well with backpacking, um, then carry that. If you're on the fence, then maybe that's one of the situations where you start without it and then add it if you feel like there's a void in your hike. Um, I, I just, I don't think there's one correct answer, but to that point, I'm not taking it away from what you're saying. Yeah. Your anecdote is valid. No, we're allowed and, to disagree. Yeah. I, and I don't even have a counter for myself personally. Like, I think I carried uh, like a light notepad that I ended up sending home because my first through hike writing was very important to me and I just use an iPhone app, which is ultimately like all the things, a lot of the hobbies that you want to maintain can be accomplished with this thing, with, whether it's books, you can do an audio books, writing, videos. Yeah, painting. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of things you can get away with a smartphone, which is something that almost everybody is bringing, maybe everybody. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree because I'm not the person who's bringing hobbyist stuff myself. I'm just exposed to enough people who do that that is very important to their hikes where I don't want somebody listening to this to think that they shouldn't bring those things if they're very passionate about it. Yeah, I, my, my main point to get across is if you're on the fence, like I've, I've done coachings with people who wanted to bring three different cameras because they liked cameras. That's it, insane. It, but, but they're on the fence, but they're on the fence. Yeah. If you're on the fence... Just like a, a reassuring reminder to you that accomplishing the hike itself is enough. You don't need you don't need to do something extra on top of it to make it special. It will be special enough as is. And if you want to add on something, you can always do so later. But it doesn't make you less of who you are in the real world to leave that stuff behind for a few months. I've got a thought on that. I think it's like maybe a whole like separate like oh, sub tangent of something that we don't have to get too into, but um, so I actually um, pre-test your your mic just a little bit. More. Oh yeah, 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 perfect. Um, so I uh, I also so I double majored in music, so I I also like do a lot of musical stuff. And as I was like getting into backpacking, I was like looking up instruments that were like small enough you could take on a backpacking trip. And I got into ocarinas, hmm. like these, you know, like like I only small know that little, from Zelda. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's that. It's like that yeah. small little thing. There were some there. I had one that was like a necklace pendant. Uh -huh. That was like small enough that had like a little bit over an octave so you could like play like songs on it. And like I learned it and I was still on the fence about it. And like, I don't know, I decided not to bring it and felt bad about it for like two days. And then I got out onto the AT and saw because like, I, you know, I had like this like fantasy vision of like there's going to be all this time and like empty space to like, I don't know, like like play songs and like make friends by making music. <laughs> and I think in reality on the AT, um, a lot of people are kind of annoyed by people playing various <laughs> kinds of music out there. And so I like I wasn't like crazy passionate about it. I like could do it and thought like this is kind of a part of me. I'd be interested in maybe bringing this decided not to was so glad that I didn't. Yeah, so I, I think like I think like musical instruments is is like maybe a whole specific thing to talk about. Sure. Like I, I've got a friend um, that like carries a like a trombone and hikes like a plastic trombone. Yeah, 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 and oh, I think it's our same friend. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So there's people that are like so into it that they bring it and that's great. And, you know, we're talking about ultralight stuff. So I think in the context of ultralight, if it's not like a really huge part of you, I think like you're probably not going to have time to learn the harmonica. Yeah. Like it's not exactly. something where like if you're like, ah, this might be a cool time to do this is probably not. If you like love this thing already and it's a big part of you, that's great. I'd also like say that probably at least like, I don't know, 60 or 70% of hostels have a guitar. <laughs> so if yeah. you're the guitar person and you're like hanging out in towns, you're going to have chances to play a guitar every once in a while. Sure. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think it's like, if it's a huge part of who you are, I've seen people take it and get a lot of value out of it. I haven't seen anybody ever like pick up something while they're out there. So I think maybe that's maybe where that's the line is. That's a good delineation is. for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I spent 
maybe three seconds playing the harmonica. I'm yeah. like, I'm fucking stupid. I'm not going to get good at this thing while I'm hiking. Yeah, I got to like maybe like my third night in a shelter on the AT in my first hike. There were like two or three different guitars and people playing music like after dark. I'm like, oh, man, I really don't love this. Right. <laughs> I mean, I had 20 different resupply boxes for the PCT and each one had a new book in it because and, and I wasn't even sure there was some some boxes that had two books in them because they were for longer stretches and i was like there's no way i'm not gonna want to read all this these are great books and every time i got one of those boxes i was like i'm a freaking idiot yeah um and it doesn't make me any less of someone who likes to read it's just it took all of my energy to just move my feet and i had to be okay with that being okay yeah and you can also get away with the Kindle app on your phone or audiobooks. Like, there's ways to still scratch that itch on some level. It didn't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, worth mentioning, I don't know what episode Piers was, the infamous Chance episode. Oh, do, do we really need to plug this? No, we don't. I mean, I want to plug Pierce, obviously. Because yeah, plug he's, Pierce. He's one of the clear exceptions to this. He yes. carried a mini guitar, and he's a fantastic musician. And I'm sure if we had him on this conversation, he would say that the I know for a fact he would say the guitar is worth every ounce of the weight, but to Chance's point, the majority of people, and I think Carl emphasized this point, that's not going to be the case. And certainly if you're like in the process of hoping to learn to become, go from beginner to some level of proficiency, probably not going to happen. Yeah. Like I'm never taking Heidi Nisbet's, you know, watercolors right from her. Yeah. I'm not taking like, it, it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not taking Twerk's camera, you know, yeah. but- if you don't even know if you can complete this on its own yet, don't let the reason you quit because you weighed down your pack with shit you didn't need. Sure. Um, All right, your turn, Professor. Yeah, so I think uh, going back a little bit to like outside of like base weight stuff, we talked about water, so I want to talk about food a little bit and maybe like a different spin on food than the normal like calories per ounce sort of thing and just uh, like a similar way that we talked about um, like – getting like dialing in your water to get like the exact right amount more or less to get to the next source of like dialing in your food to get the exact right amount to get from town to town. And this is another thing too, that takes time to not only like develop your comfort with, but also like your body needs to like, um, equalize a bit. So like you, it, it's not something that like whatever, wherever you are now, it's not going to be the same after a month. It's not a static mm -hmm. thing. Right, at all. It like kind of can become static maybe after like a month or two and like things can kind of average out. You're doing the same miles every day. You're taking the same like calorie intake, all of that. So whatever the, like the food that you're eating, like if, if you like taking like whatever this stuff is, I mean, um, you can like read, like if your thing's like a jar of queso, like yeah, maybe repackage that and don't carry out a glass jar, but like whatever the heavy stuff is that you like to carry, that's fine if you like that, but carry the right amount. Yeah. Uh, and it even like, I don't know, I like to think of it as like kind of a game a little bit of like figuring out how to just um, like um, ration things throughout a stretch. And then as you get like quicker and um, more efficient, all this stuff like you can, especially on, on like the AT, like you can be in town every three or four days, pretty much the whole way. Mm -hmm. um, and so like you're, when you're dialing in food, you're, you're not going to starve yourself out there. Like you might run out of food in three days and have like a pretty long 20 miles into town. It'll You're going to be uncomfortable, okay. but you will right. survive. Yes. Right. And if like, if you had to like, I get like, you should never rely on this, but on the popular trails, like you could mooch if you had to, like yeah. so people are out there that have so much stuff. If you got to where things were bad, 
there's a way out. There's a way out. Yeah. But like there's there's such frequency of town. Like I tried to line it up that like I would eat like my last bar or whatever it was, like two hours before town. Mm -hmm. Roll into town exactly when I started getting hungry and just like with an empty How pack. How good is possible. that feeling? It feels so good yeah. when your pack's mm. that light. No water, no food. Oh, you're running. Right. Yeah, you're floating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's nothing. And then even if you're thinking like, all right, one packet of ramen I'll carry always is like my emergency. Thing. That's my mashed potatoes. Yeah. God, powdered mashed potatoes suck, but that shit is filling. Yeah, it's filling. It, it doesn't weigh anything. And I'm not going to eat it unless I absolutely have to. That's yeah. my security blanket. Well, I was going to say, in contrast to that, like a four ounce packet of ramen is like the equivalent of like, I don't know, like an extra shirt and pair of socks. And then like, if you really get it dialed in, like it, you know, it's, it's four ounces. Like, that's fine. That, that's your security blanket of food. But like, that's like, could be the equivalent of some piece of gear that you shaved. If you could like figure out how to get a little bit more comfortable and like, just accept that like if I spill dinner one night, that means one night I'm just going to have to eat trail mix and like have like three or four extra hours before I get into town on the last day where I'm a little bit hungrier. Yeah. Um, but even just that much of like that, like I carry like two extra bars, and like one extra packet of ramen. Like that's like, you know, like six or seven ounces over the course of your hike. Like people pay hundreds of dollars to shave that much off their tent. Yeah. Um, that like that that might not be the place where you like want to shave stuff of like that, that comfort of like, I've definitely have food no matter what. And, like maybe you even get to a point where you regularly eat that on the last night or whatever. Um, but that if you really dial in your food to where you're pretty much eating everything and have your food like totally done by the time you get into town, that like, that's efficient. Like that's weight. Like every time that you're out there that you're saving. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, you don't, without getting into the weeds of like counting calories per ounce and, and all of this other stuff that's like so specific of just knowing that like I eat like like three bars a day and like two pop tarts a day and I'll eat a jar of peanut butter and four it like just that basic kind of stuff of just knowing that like divvied up by day and then sticking to it that like on your last day you're always flying into town yeah I I couldn't agree with that more and that's currently my biggest struggle in keeping my pack weight down and I often console myself by saying the reason I got my base weight so light is so that I can throw in the security snickers if needed mm -hmm. But I, I struggle the same way where I don't want to run out of food. I know a day won't kill me, but I don't like, you know, I don't like the idea of it. So I've kind of broken down in my head where I usually snack and eat now that I've done enough miles and I'll lay out kind of like a chart on the floor of food and I'll, I'll do breakfast bar, snack in between breakfast and lunch, a lunch item, then snack, snack, dinner, snack, bed. And I know that for me now because I've done so much that I can figure that out. But even then, when I get to towns, I end up packing extra because I struggle with wanting variety. And if a pack of Pop-Tarts has four, I'm not leaving two just to get two other different things in there. So what I try to do now is split with others. So like, I'll get the honey buns, you get the oatmeal pies, I'll take three, you take three. And so I just I'm want not... to do a quick aside that it's amazing to me that this is a popular podcast where we're giving advice and this is the sort of thing that we're talking about. I agree with you. I think this is really important information, but you're talking about bartering Pop-Tarts for honey buns. Well, because it I'm... just struck me as very funny. I don't want to be wasteful. So instead yeah, of throwing you're, you're out right. two Pop-Tarts. I'm not disagreeing yeah, with I totally you. No, agree I, wait, too. can you say, yeah. Paulie, cut that clip, please. Yeah. Send me the your right <laughs> yeah, clip. Yeah. Um, it's, to me, it's just funny. Right. And for me, it's like I would rather carry two extra Pop-Tarts and use them on the next stretch then just throw them out for the sake of being some wasteful person that, like, but I only need two, you know? So that just from, no one's taking a Pop-Tart out of the hiker bin, I don't think. So if I can find a scenario. Yeah, I bet you plenty of people are taking a Pop-Tart out. Or at least eating it on the spot. You give it a feel first. Yeah, right. Still whole. Yeah. If I can, but if I can find someone who's either staying at the hostel or hitching in a town with me where I'm like, what kind of snacks are you looking to get? 
cool. Do you want all six of those chewy bars? No. Okay. What other snacks do you like? What if I get these and you get those and I take half of mine and half of yours? And then I satisfy that variety itch without going into that naggy back part of my brain that says, bring it with you so you don't waste it. That like that. And it's a work in progress for me. That's my biggest struggle right now is the food. Mm -hmm. I agree. The food is the thing that I fuck up the most. Um, and I always seem to be reactive to the previous town. Like the first time I'll take way too much food. I'll show up in a town with an extra day of food. So I'm like, oh, I'm bad at this. I'm going to show up. I'm going to get way less food. And then the next time I'm like savoring a cliff bar for 12 miles. And like mm-hmm. I show up to town ravished, which to your original point is like uncomfortable, but not in any way glorifying. Are you Can you picture a better feeling in your tummy than going into town hungry and knowing the food options that await you? It is... It's sadistic, but it is glorious. Yeah, I just yeah, it's, it's something. I just don't it's like feeling. <laughs> that feeling for like multiple hours. I want to get to. Yeah. I want to be hungry for an hour. If yeah. I'm hungry for four hours, I, I start to get a little cranky and like time moves slowly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll give a nod to bear bins. Say what you will about bear canisters, the most efficiently perfect, perfect to the T, to the singular bar, exactly turned out how it should have that I've ever packed my food pack is when I have to fit it all in a bear bin. I have mm. never been so efficient and on point and just patting myself on the back with a resupply than I did throughout the JMT because I brought, and this is going to sound crazy to some people, but I brought the half bear keg mm. and it was COVID. So we did a nine day and an 11 day. And no one believes you when you say you put 11 days into a bear keg. Technically it was 10 because the 11th, I was eating the first day, but the half size one, my mindset was I'm 5'1". I'm not going to eat as much as the normal hiker anyway. And I haven't gotten my hiker hunger yet because we're only out here for two and a half weeks. So without hiker hunger, what would I normally eat? It'll just start kicking in at the end. That's fine. And then to be able to make it all fit in this half keg, it was to the T, the exact amount of food. And I can't replicate that when I don't have those constrictions. Yeah. I really, really liked having that. Yeah. I'm picturing the can of fake snakes when you pop the yeah. and the snakes yeah. pop out. That's your bear snakes. can. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that's snakes. wildly impressive. I've done like, I think I did like eight days the first time I hiked the PCT and I had that thing totally packed and a grocery bag all the way full like on the side in addition to it. Yeah. That was in the middle of the trail, yeah. to be fair, but it's still like, it's hard to get everything into that thing. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, so the more, and this is, again, this is something that you're going to learn, listener, as you take on trails. But what I've learned is I almost have an anti-hiker hunger, where when I start a hike, I'm less hungry than I would be just like off trail. Yeah. Yeah, and, I agree. I think that's maybe even common, especially yeah, the first week. Exactly. Yeah. So if it's a two and a half week trail, and I know I'm going to be a little less hungry, then I can tone down my snacks a bit. And I was using all that because I had to, because I had to be efficient with this bear keg. And it just, it, I, I loved that constraint. And when you have a, a food bag that you can fill to the brim should you want to and side pockets and a fanny pack, like no one's going to see me slip this Snickers in here. You know, like you can cheat. Um, and it's really easy to cheat for comfort. I agree with you guys. I think that uh, when you first start a backpacking trip, your hunger is not an issue. For short backpacking trips, the the amount of food that you bring is somewhat inconsequential. Like, don't bring extremely too little. Don't bring extremely too much. But like, you can get away with any amount. For longer through hikes, 
I generally advise people to not use their early hunger as a gauge because mm -hmm. what happens is you just are under consuming calories way too much. Your hunger is not giving you the proper signals and you're in too much of a caloric deficit that your energy just starts to shut down. Like you're dragging ass for no reason and your hunger is not telling you that you are, you should be consuming more calories. It. Yeah. And just like every mountain that you climb feels like you're dragging ass. That's an indication more often than not, could be a number of things, but very commonly that's an issue of you're just not getting enough calories. Mm -hmm. So the food thing is a, is a huge conversation. We've had an entire, um, we've had multiple episodes most recently. It's been a long time now, but with a nutritionist on the subject. Um, but you mentioned a lot of things that I want to double click on. One is we're in an alignment here. The conversation about calories per weight, I hate that shit mm -hmm. because like the most efficient uh, diet that you could have is just bringing 2,500 calories per day of olive oil. Right. That, yeah. That's getting you the most amount of calories per weight. And that is a dreadful diet. Like it, it will sustain, sustain your energy system, but you'll be hungry all the time. Like uh, if we're thinking about something like satiety, it, you won't be scratching the itch of eating foods that mm -hmm. you enjoy to eat, which for me is a huge part of backpacking. I totally. Know, that's I like know my favorite part. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> like only in the context of backpacking am I eating double stuffed Oreos and regularly to, yeah, daily. Right. Right. And to think that like a huge percentage of my diet is coming from just eating things that are solid fat that don't necessarily taste good, especially on their own. Um, to me, is just not a sacrifice I'm willing to make. If you're willing to make that sacrifice, more power to you. You're getting closer to that UL goal. But uh, I think for the average person, I would push them in the direction of not thinking too much about the calories per weight. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. On on average, not worth it. But similar to like the, the you know, the conversation about like bringing a guitar or something, like if you're like a foodie and love like counting that and like dehydrating your own meals, like that's an awesome way to save weight. But I think like for the like vast majority of people even i would say like not worth it yeah it very much agreed there um you also touched on another thing which i think is really important and like you gave an obvious example of bringing the jar of queso getting rid of the glass but there's so many small things that you can do which not only save weight but save bulk which i think yeah, is totally. a huge part of it like how your pack carries um with the double stuffed oreos instead of bringing the entire thing with the plastic wrapping on the outside and the plastic sleeve pour that all into a Ziploc bag and maybe add multiple snacks to that same Ziploc bag. And then you've got a trash bag at the end of it too. But like, if you do that practice for the granola bars, ditching the box and um, I'm trying to think, obviously you don't want to carry like a glass jar of jelly. Um, and I hate goober. And there's actually a generic version of goober that I think you can get at the Kroger chain, which is equally as disgusting. So it's a mix. Yeah. Peanut butter. And it's jelly. like half and they do it in like little silos. Yeah. 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 Which is, I can't believe they fucked that up because peanut by itself, peanut butter by itself is great. Jelly by itself is great. Together it's great. And I don't know what they're doing there to mess it up, but from, to me it's gross. So what I'll do is I'll get a large, depending on the stretch of trail, I'll get a large jar of peanut butter. I'll scoop out a third of it or whatever, maybe half of it, depending on your ratios, you sick bastards. And I'll just add a thing of jelly to it. I'm not carrying both containers. There's little things that you can do like that to get rid of the packaging. It saves you. Those things add up to weight, certainly. And much more obviously, it adds up to bulk. Um, yeah, I, that's just kind of my weird spiel on food because... This is the one where I think people get the most off base when it comes to being ultralight, because if you're doing the calorie per weight thing, man, 
if you just maybe you don't like food the way that I like food and you're probably a much thinner person because of it. Uh, but I, I love being on trail and just eating things that I enjoy and getting a good diversity of things and uh, to limit yourself to like a pure, like get the most amount of fat because that's the most efficient way to do it is not my preferred system. Yeah, it, it's possible. I, I think it's way easier just to like figure out like how much you need like of food in general per day, bring what you like and like try to line it up. So that's when you get into town. Couple other things like you you can do to like maybe kind of save weight, like eat a big meal on your way out of town. Yep. So like your first day is like just a dinner, or maybe even it's just like a sandwich you pack out or something that, that is heavier the first night. Or like totally. I would even like like one of my favorite like trail dinners is like uh like like instant shells where you have like the shells mm -hmm. and then instead of it being like macaroni powder, there's like the goop that you get. Yeah. It's like kind of heavy, but like you eat that once on your first night out. Right. And then like so like uh, maybe you can do a heavier dinner the first night. That's a good tip within a tip. Eat yeah. the heaviest food first. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. right. Um, but yeah, like I, I like similar to like camping up at a water source. Like eat a lot on yeah. your way out of town. Totally, you're not gonna need as much snacks on day one. Yeah, and then like maybe you have so some dinner you packed out. What's the terminology? Camel holds water. What's the thing that holds a lot of food in its system for a short period of time? Um, John Daly up. Java up. <laughs> Java up. I will I'll give a little tidbit. Um one of the one of my most I don't know if that was a Viking reference or oh, yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Works interchangeably. Yeah. Um one quote, you hear a lot of quotes as you like do stuff. Like people have like their go-to things they tell you. One thing I have always remembered, um, I started the PCT the same day as Homemade Wanderlust, aka Dixie did. One thing she said to me in the shuttle on the way over that I just loved was she always eats her favorite thing in her food bag, was what she told me on the drive. Because if she always eats her favorite thing in her food bag, then the next thing she eats is always going to be her favorite thing in her food bag. Because the old favorite thing is now gone. So your next favorite thing, be, you're just always going to be eating your favorite thing of your options. Sure. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and then maybe that even like affects your resupplies. They're like, oh, this yeah. is like my least favorite thing. I'm not getting that this time. I'm if getting this more is of what's the first left. thing I got. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Last thing I'll say to the food thing, and this probably doesn't even need to be said, but I'm going to say it. This is coming from a place of someone who has like grown up with an eating disorder. Don't be afraid to feed yourself. Right. Like if you are trying to get ultralight, the way to do so isn't strictly through food. Like use all these other methods we're giving and use the food in a way where you are you're making sure you don't come back with it with a half full food bag every time because you were full each time and you had extra. Right. Like you're packing out of fear, but feed yourself. Right. Like don't be afraid to feed yourself. Don't be afraid to eat until you're full for all these things and pack the amount of food that will get you there. And that's one area where I would just say, like, don't gamify it. It's not a game of how little can you eat and still get there. It just don't don't mess with that shit. Trust me. It's from someone who thinks it's kind of fun to use a, a long distance hike as a diet. Um, don't do that. It's not great. I think that's a really good point. And I think kind of goes off the thing we were saying before where, like, you can definitely bonk if you're just consuming too many calories yeah. and, and you're starving yourself. That's a bad thing. I'm not coming at this at all from the eating disorder standpoint. Come at me. Just, like, energy, not even talking to you, talking to the listener right now. Just, like, from a performance standpoint, that's a terrible strategy yeah. for being able to finish the trek. Um, no pun there. Uh, the other thing I would say with that is if – what was the thing I was going to say? I lost my train of thought. Oh, if you just lose a shit ton of weight very quickly and like you love the way that you look, this happens every year. This is a very common thing. 
you are fucking up your metabolism. Like you're going to get some great pictures and maybe you're going to build out a very nice Tinder profile, but that's going to be a really hard thing to hold on to for any substantial amount of time. So to Chance's points, and again, I'm not speaking purely from an eating disorder standpoint. I think everybody wants to look awesome when they come mm -hmm. off a trail. Like even the most average person is going to cite that as a benefit and they're not wrong for it. But like if you're dropping a ton of weight, um, it's just very unlikely that you're going to keep that off for any substantial period of time. Like you're just sending such bad signals to your metabolism. When you get off trail and you're not burning three to 4,000 calories per day, it's going to want to store everything that it gets. And it's just hard to be motivated to burn enough calories to sustain that for a long period of time. So um, yeah, a lot of the benefits that you're getting are going to be very short term. Keep that in mind. Watch my ATPCT videos when I'm towards the end of these hikes and then watch our backpacker radio YouTube plug in that channel from winter this year the weight comes back right like <laughs> this isn't a permanent fix um but the goal of the goal of tuning in your food is to make sure that you don't constantly hit town with half a food bag not to make sure that you're barely meeting the requirements your body needs on the trail yeah i think we covered the food thing pretty well oh i, I got one so more too. hot take to okay. sneak in give us yeah, a hot take okay great so i i i've um heard another an episode that came out i think last year with with a nutritionist can't remember who can't remember when but it was against what i was trying last year and i think it worked for me which was that i like i definitely ate significantly more calories in town than i did on mm. trail and over the course of like a really long hike yeah. last year i think it worked okay like i i found that i could like in like the three or four days that I was on trail, I would like maybe dip a little bit and then I'd always make up for it. in like the, I don't know, like 16 hours I was in town, like eat a huge dinner, like eat a huge breakfast to yeah. roll out that like, if I was like depleting a little bit on trail, I could make up for it in town and get back out. And like, I found, I, I found that rhythm actually kind of worked for me. Okay. Of like thinking about my food cycle is like bigger than 24 hours of more like 96 hours or yeah. something. And my body kind of got used to it over time. I haven't seen any specific science on that, but from an evolutionary standpoint, that makes perfect sense. Right? I thought so too. Like yeah. Feast and famine. Like that's how we evolved. Um, you know, they weren't eating honey buns and that sort right. of shit. But like uh I, I could definitely understand what you're saying in that it that like a from an evolutionary standpoint, that makes perfect sense. And I was eating like until I got full on trail still, but even so, like like doing a big hike, doing big miles, like you still kinda lose weight doing that. But like the downtime was enough in town that it could kind of make up for that. Sure. So like there was like weight fluctuation over time that balanced out. So they're like over yeah. the course of however much. Yeah. While I was on trail, like it totally changed after I got off trail so for that's sure. The, that's maybe my question yeah. is while you're on trail, that works. But I wonder if back to the conversation about your metabolism, like does that do weird signals? My metabolism was crazy when I finished trail. Yeah. yeah like I, I slowed down. I, I was hiking like 30 to 35 miles for most of last year. At the end of the year last year, I took off like 10 days when I like changed my plans and then finished the PCT. And I went from hiking 30, 35 miles a day. I was doing like 20 to 25 and in seven weeks, my body was used to like three to 4,000 calories a day for like 30 to 35 miles a day with, without any off days. I was doing like 20, 25 miles a day with like one zero. And I gained 25 pounds in seven weeks while hiking. So wow. like at the end of the trail, I put on weight like crazy. Yeah. And then I got off trail and then it was December 19th. And I went home to the South for the holidays and wasn't yeah. hiking at all. And I gained like 15 pounds in two more weeks. Like it came on like crazy yeah, at the right. end. So it took a while for my metabolism to even out afterwards. So yeah. that's totally something to consider. But on trail, it like it equaled out so that it was okay. That yeah. like I was doing like like pretty intensive miles and like I could kind of dip during like on trail and and still eat enough, like eat where I was hungry, but I wasn't like stuffing myself over the top. And then I get into town, eat whatever I want, and it would kind of like come back up and it just like balanced out 
during the hike, not sustainable afterwards at all. Yeah. Okay. I think that's an important thing to do. And like what you're reciting, I think is common for every hiker, regardless of their eating style. Like everyone puts on weight after the trail. Yeah. And way more likely, especially if you lose a lot of weight on trail. Um, But yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And I also think that's a strategy that most people employ just because like, sure. One, you're your gluttony takes over when you're in town like you get star eyes you can eat all the pizza burgers beer ice cream whatever you want and like it's very easy to gorge yourself and i think most people do that and then when you're on trail the food that you want to consume is weight on your back so i think what you're describing is pretty common i know we want to move on um but i have one more tip and at this point we're so close to the end that i don't really care extending it five minutes sorry to the listener um one thing to apologize to jenna sorry jenna okay um, we got three more minutes before I got to apologize to Jenna. That's true. Um, one thing that I found helps me with not overpacking as much is I get a fear in town of what if I don't like what I want to eat in the moment and what if I'm craving something else in the moment. And something that has really helped me, again, still my still my biggest struggle to hone in completely, but something that has very much helped me is when I lay out kind of that chart of each day on the ground and I put out lines of, okay, the breakfast, the snacks, the lunches, you know, all that stuff. When I said before, after dinner, there's one more snack before bed, that is usually a five-star snack. Like, this is where I put in the pack of M&Ms, the Snickers bar, the Swedish fish, the sour gummy worms. I make sure that every single day has one of these like luxury item snacks that I am going to for sure want. And then if throughout the day, it comes snack time between lunch and dinner and I'm really hungry and I don't want the granola bar I've packed and I'm just like not feeling it and I'm being a little baby about it. I'll pull out some of those M&Ms that I have dedicated for that day. The, night, the morning I woke up, I'm like, today's M&M day. And I'll take a few of those from after dinner. And part of what pulls me to camp is that after dinner, I can lay in my sleeping bag and I can eat these M&Ms. And that is like very, very helpful for getting up a climb. But it's also very good for if I'm like, if I need to pacify myself, I often say treat yourself like a toddler on the trail and like pacify yourself when you're throwing those little meltdowns. That has helped me from overpacking where I would think, but what if I don't like this? I'll pack this too. What if I don't want to eat that? Well, I'll pack this too. Skip all that shit. Pack the stuff that you th- that you think you'll want and then give yourself that five-star end-of-the-day snack that you can pull from if you need to pacify yourself during the day. And for me, it's really helped because I won't eat all of it because I'm like, I need this for end-of-day. This is my reward, like that reward stimulation. But it is also enough where... If I don't want to eat a Cliff Bar and I give myself a handful of M&Ms, I'm kind of okay with the Cliff Bar. You know, like you find ways to find ways to eat your dinner to get your dessert. Yeah. But also don't be the person that's like, I'm not going to bring any of these. These aren't like nutritious. These are, you know, like shut up about that. Right. Like put one in there for every day where it's your pacifier and it's your reward. And then you will eat your other stuff because if you need to balance it out, you have something to pull from. And that has really helped me not overpack the food. Yeah. This is, that's a thing that I see people mess up, new backpackers a lot, especially mess up on, is that they go in as idealists trying to eat tuna packets and just all of the healthiest shit. You'll learn. Yeah. I think it is important. That was one thing I wanted to add to this, especially if you're out there for a long hike, is to focus on getting some nutrition that can be achieved eating a lot of salads in town. Um, I like the dehydrated green juice. 
um, focusing, focusing on things that are high in fiber and protein, these things that are just going to keep you going for a long time. I carry supplements, but I'm also very on board with what Sean said of like having that one thing. And we talked a little bit about this while you're in the bathroom, but if your diet is only focused on like calories per weight, you're missing a huge component of this, at least from my perspective. Oh my God, dude, look at your, look at your upcoming week, right? Like let's say you're going on a five day stretch, see where your biggest climb days are. Okay. I've got two days that have these big ass climbs. For me, those are lollipop days. I pack a blow pop <laughs> for those days because what's going to help me get up that climb is putting a freaking blow pop in my mouth and having that be the treat of the climb, right? Like, Talk about not wanting to eat tuna packets, not wanting to eat this stuff. If I'm giving myself a handful of M&Ms to eat this tuna packet, I'm eating this tuna packet. I'm not treating my – Trail Chance is not an adult. We are not leveling with an adult here. Is Trail Chance an adult? Barely. <laughs> trail Chance is a toddler, if that, and she is a fussy one. And we are doing our best to keep her tempered. And if that means to get down the tuna packet – we need a handful of M&Ms. We're not rationalizing how much sense that actually makes in the real world. Again, we're suspending reality here. Get yourself through it. Find ways to pacify yourself on the ways on the things that suck and be strategic about it. If you know this climb is going to suck and you know that you, you know, get less dry mouth if you have a Jolly Rancher in your mouth. I mean, I got to the point where I knew exactly how many miles I'd hike by the time I'd suck through a Jolly Rancher. I had miles per Jolly as a increment that I was measuring, like you can find ways where you're not overeating out of boredom and you're not overpacking out of just like fear and you're keeping yourself happy on the things that'll suck. There are ways to manipulate your food bag. Find them, find whatever works for you and play into it. Don't, don't restrict yourself, play into those things. Yeah, good. Um, <clears throat> so my last one was going to be another long-winded one. I'm going to save it not only for the time thing. We've I'm, done this one. We have done this. Again, I'm treating this as if people haven't listened to the podcast before. Listen to more of the podcast, people. <laughs> or stay tuned for future podcasts. Yes. That was that was part of- uh, Sorry, that was rude. I'm, I'm I love you all. Yeah, I'm I'm dangling the cherry in front of them to- uh, we'll do we'll do future editions of this. If you guys like this, give us the feedback. We can do a two p a two point We did a yeah. wait. Did we do an AT two or a PCT? We did 2.0? an AT two a PCT two We did girl stuff two We've done beginner backpacker mistakes. Yeah, we're We've down done, for the two For the good panels that you guys like, let us know if you want more of this, and we'll make more. And my first one will be a long winded one that I think is very important. I'm gonna end with one that is. We, I think we've been coming from the perspective of people have some backpacking knowledge to begin with. Um, yeah, just hope that none of them hate Mountain Dew when you say this one. I know what you're <laughs> referencing, but I'm having trouble connecting. Um, contributing plastic to environment. Oh. This is oh. a product of Pepsi. Sure, sure, sure. Sorry, it's, sure. it's obscure. I get, it. I get it. This is a deep burn. For, You'll have to listen to more Sean's. episodes. Yeah. New listener. Um, but this is something that I think Beginner backpackers, people that aren't entrenched in the thru-hiking world could get wrong. It's also a quicker point for selfish reasons. Uh, but if, if again, if you don't have a friend who's hiker trash or you haven't spent time on the AT or whatever, this is a very simple thing that saves you money, saves you weight, and you're not losing anything. We can go with maybe the one caveat, but if you're relying on this for that, I think you're making a mistake, is using a smart water bottle instead of a Nalgene. Everybody has a Nalgene. I think people equate it to hiking and some people equate it to backpacking. Um, in our world, you're not going to see really any experienced backpackers 
carrying a Nalgene. For the Ooh. most part, everybody's got smart water and there's different brands. The, the thing to focus on is having a higher quality, a thicker plastic. You know, if you go to like uh, Walmart or any grocery store, there's the smaller water bottles that like you crush and they they lose their stability. That's not the one that you want. You want something that's at least a liter. And I think the liter is the most common size. If you're unsure of what to get, just go with smart water because they do good stuff. Um, trying to think of the one that I use in the most recent trip. Life water? Oh, life yeah, water. Life yeah, life water. Yeah. There's... Any bottle in that shape. The threading is the same on the lid and that'll screw into your, we're assuming here. Sawyer squeeze. Yeah. It also works with the platypus quick draw. Um, I assume more water filters that enter the market will conform to the standard because people use it that way. But uh, one, this is going to save you. Nalgene's are heavy. There's really no use for it. I mean, it, you can say that it insulates and that's true, but if you want to be lightweight, these are some of the comforts that you're going to have to give up. You can also say you're saving the environment by using a Nalgene. The amount of distance and time you're going to get out of a smart water bottle before you change it is probably going to be against what like doctors tell you you should reuse a water bottle for. Yeah, there might be BPA. Or but you're like you're still contributing by walking by do, by by doing this task in general you are degrading degrading you're diminishing your carbon footprint enough that by taking a water bottle like don't just bring an algae in for the sake of saving the planet there are yeah also, famous people that can stay off their jets for a day and I do more i think you brush on the point that most backpackers use these smart water bottles for hundreds of miles like they they get a lot of use it becomes like a status symbol of like because you you don't mix your dirty water bottle and this is another thing that might not be obvious you don't mix your dirty water bottles with your clean water bottles so the one you squeeze to filter the water through oftentimes just gets like decrepit is that a word yeah i'm I'm really struggling with words today getting late but You'll replace it. You'll know when you need to replace it. You'll get that feeling. You'll know the amount of use you get off of it versus someone who just like standardly chugs through water bottles. You're not the same person. Yeah. And like also the amount of plastic that you throw away with the rest of your food garbage is probably in excess of the amount of the smart water bottle by itself. So it's still less than real life. Yeah, for sure. You're, yeah, I agree with you. Your footprint, you're, rel- yeah. you're relying on hitches. So not you're, worth you're bringing an algae. Car shares. There's, there's so many things that are in, more environmentally friendly. We actually uh, talked about this one last time I was here. I had my like liter and a half. I was bottle. wondering if that was yeah, because yeah, it yeah. had like no transparency left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. It lasted. I, I had it for twelve months. I drank out of it every day last year. That's, and it, it held up the whole time. Okay. So they do last a while. Thank you for confirming yeah. that. I I thought it was you, but we've had a lot of people come in during their hikes, and I I wasn't sure on that. So yeah, great anecdote to add to that one. But um, yeah, I I think you said it. The best is you can get a lot of use out of these things. So we've talked about the conservation thing, but the difference in weight between a smart water bottle and the uh, equal volume Nalgene, I don't know what the exact amount is, but it's five Several ounces. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. It, and uh, there are people out there that want the Nalgene because you can boil water and put it in with your sleeping bag to stay warm at night. If you're relying on that to stay warm, that means you need a warmer sleep bag, sleep system in general. Um, me with another tidbit. Hi. Uh, even though not necessarily the exact point of what you're saying, but kind of on theme, if you're in somewhere like the desert at the PCT where Nalgene's aren't enough and you got to bring some sort of water bag with you to be able to have enough water, Fact check me on this, but from the research I had done when I was 
carrying water bags, I found that platypus had the lightest water bags, mm. just water bag alone. So I was carrying Sawyer filters with platypus bags because the Sawyers filtered all the waters. They did the Nalgene's and then the backpack bags. I couldn't find anything that beat platypus at the time. Sure. So you can also like you if you're trying to be really ultra light, shed weight by taking a smart water bottle or a life water bottle. And also like compare back to comparing weights, compare the weights of the water bags. Yeah. There's differences. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's a good point to bring up too is using a water reservoir is going to be much lighter than using a Nalgene. Using one of those reservoirs that Chauncey is talking about. Is reservoir? Be... Reservoir. Reservoir. Yeah. I love that you have at least one word weirdness. What was your one before we started? It? Oh, say the Corn. thing. Corn. No, you said it normally there, but you were being. You'll catch me off guard at some point. <laughs> um. It, like people are oftentimes using camelbacks and I'm not specifically sh- shitting on camelbacks, but if you're trying to save weight using the reservoirs uh, is going to save you weight relative to the camelback. It's just a thinner plastic and really doesn't provide much function other than just transporting water. So um, yeah, it's going to be very trail specific on someplace like the AT. You can probably get away with two smart water bottles on something like the PCT. You're going to need the capacity for more water. Moral of the story is don't bring your analogy. No, I think that's a really smart one because I don't think twice about putting water in smart water bottles. But if I was like on my first hike, I would wonder. Like, I think that's one that you wouldn't normally think of. That's a good oh, one like to bring up. Like plastic leaching? Or... No, not plastic. If it's just like, should I just bring my analogy in? You know, like oh, I wouldn't yeah. think, I wouldn't really think the way that someone who hikes to that capacity would where they're just like they go for the smart water sure it's not intuitive when you are just day hiking and i think that's the thing that i was trying to get to is like we're so used to being in a community where we're like whittling down to the finest technology and philosophies and whatever it might be to get to the lightest thing um but there's there are levels to this and i think sometimes we gloss over the 101 aspect and this is probably something that's in the 101 and it's worth touching on well even when you're talking about different types of gear and it's like dcf and like all these things that are high tech to think smart water bottles would be like the best option for something almost seems wrong yeah because it's like you know it's not expensive it's not uncommon it's not hard to get it just doesn't feel like the best option totally so it's kind of shocking there. yeah I also felt like it was good to mix in one of these types. No, if like we're going to make this a series, mm-hmm. we can't go all with the big philosophical no, stuff. No, I, th- I, th- I really liked that one, and I don't like to compliment you. I know you don't. You hate it more than anything. Well, so I, I have mean... that clip where you said I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> eye for an eye. Uh, cool. Well, let's end the panel section there. Does anyone need a potty break, or should we just keep rolling? I couldn't hold it till this point. You already went, is what you're saying? Yeah. No, you, yeah, I, I went. I couldn't make it till now. I'm going to yeah. get a Beer really go quick. grab a beer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you guys keep going. Yeah, um, let's see. We're gonna go. We're gonna skip maybe a couple of these. Skip QOTD. I yeah. don't love that we'll, one. We'll save a question of the day for a future episode. Uh, are you good on thing of the week? Yeah, I told you that before the episode. Okay. I'm having a I'll third listen. life crisis. Uh, I'll just quickly go on track propaganda because I'm actually interested to get Carl's take on this if he's aware oh, of it. Oh, this is really relevant. Yeah, but that's that's part of it too. Is it's relevant and. Uh, Shout out to the author on this one. This was Joel. They go under the author name of Joel and his partner, Jenny. Um, And I'll be brief with the details because I want you guys to read this. But there's a new fabric technology in town that is making waves. And again, thanks to Joel for bringing this to my attention. It's called Ultra TNT. 
Are you aware of this one? Have you heard of this one? I know I know of Ultra. I don't know if I know of Ultra TNT. Yeah, this was new for me too. Okay. Uh, full title, Ultra TNT, the newest material for art for ultralight tarps and tents. Uh, just the brief synopsis, Ultra TNT is a new fabric challenging the UL gear landscape for tarps and tents. It's made of two layers of 0.25 millimeter polyester film with Ultra non-branded Dyneema yarn inserted between them. This construction makes Ultra TNT incredibly strong and tear resistant while still being lightweight. Again, if you want the full rundown on this, pros, cons, uh, obviously I'll tip one of the cons. It's expensive, but that's how these things go, especially when they're new. Um, please do check out the link in the show notes. Let's jump to... You know, just jump to five star. We changed... I feel like we, if we're going to do this triple crown, we need time. And I think you're short on time. Well, we also actually changed it, but I did prepare for it. But yeah, let's save it. We'll save it. Because I'm ready. I'm ready to Th- go is, there. This is the one that we were going to do. Yes. Um. What was the word that we were going to use instead of pros? Benefits. Let's just do it. Let's just do this one. Okay. Uh, my next wife will understand it. <laughs> uh, this is the triple crown of benefits of an alien invasion. Or yeah. just aliens yeah, in general. Yeah. This is a chance thing. Like, let's say, okay, because there's been a lot of news in the media about, like, aliens and these reports that they put out where they've confirmed certain alien things. And the, a lot of the joke I see on social media is just no one cares. And you'd think everyone would care. Yeah. But we're just so desensitized by the rest of right. everything. People are inundated with bad news at all times. It's just like, oh, here's another one of those. Exactly. And so I will tell the listener what prompted this. And this is a... Um, photo I saw on Instagram that's a conversation typed out into a photo and it says alien I'll rule you all with an iron fist me our leaders already do that alien well then I'll strip your planet of its resources me you're not gonna believe this Um, so that made me giggle and it made me think let's do pros of aliens because if they're not doing that like what are they doing so (laughs) benefits of (laughs) it almost sounded like a Jerry Seinfeld joke What's the deal? Anyways. That's uh, too young. I'm sorry. Oh, man. I'm a young girl. Yeah, generational gap for sure. Okay. Pros of aliens. You want to start? Should I start? I've got six. You got six? <laughs> I'm. These are unique enough. I'm unconcerned with uh, you guys stealing it, but I've been surprised in the past, but I'll go first. Okay, go first. I will start with uh, the number one benefit of an alien invasion is if you're the sort of person who's very into butt stuff. Okay, I did not think of that. Very Blink-182 of you. Didn't one of them say they got probed by an alien? I think that was a thing. Uh, I, I know Tom is very into aliens. I don't. I, don't, I think you might have stretched the probe. I, I swear there's like even a line in a song oh, about Tom gets probed by aliens. Possibly. But also uh, alien probing, I think, is one of the common attributes of alien invasions. Very, Maybe this is more of a 90s thing. interesting that your first benefit of aliens would be butt stuff. Yeah, alien probes. That's so like the first thing that comes to mind for me. Do you me. like butt stuff? I'm not a fan, so it's not a benefit for me per se, but I'm have saying... You ever, have you ever had a finger in your butt? I've No, that's what you kids do. That's your, that's a your generation thing. Hey, you're the one that brought up a pro of aliens is butt stuff. For the people who are into butt stuff, they are... So you're being courteous. Just thinking of the population like, at large. Yeah, that's yeah. very thoughtful of you. But I will say... Um, from what I understand, the, the, the kids these days... It sounds like they're eating butt. <laughs> That's what? a thing that is being done, which was not a thing back in my dating days. You really shouldn't be talking to children about eating butts at your age. It's a 
a little inappropriate. Well, I'm not talking to kids per se. I'm talking to people who are of uh, consult or consensual sexual ages. But uh, according to the internet, mm-hmm. <laughs> I get my cultural fix from the bar stools of the world. Eating butt is a thing. That's what you guys are doing. I mean, that's like tapeworm. Don't you get tapeworm from like eating feces? Uh, is that how you get tapeworm? Google how do you get tapeworm. All I'm saying is you just outed yourself. As what exactly? Someone who loves butt stuff. Oh, by the way, no, sh- I'm not shaming people who like butt stuff. Good on you if you like Good butt on stuff. Good on you. If you like a whole fist in your bung, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. And uh, for that, Zach is giving the main benefit of aliens to you. Yeah, if you're a fist in the butt, butt sort of guy, you are going to relish <laughs> You're going to love what we got coming up yeah. for you with these aliens. Man, First that... pick in the draft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. aliens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I stand um, by that. Good. Okay. My first pro of aliens is like they're probably smarter than us. Um, I'm going to combine this with number one. There's and no num- probable. There's definitely. Okay. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. I don't want to upset anyone. But I'm gonna come since I have six, I'm gonna combine some of them. Probably smarter than us, aka like they've figured out how to get across space. So there's good odds that they have probably a good exit strategy for when we ourselves launch ourselves into a full-on global boiling. Don't make this political. Just did. Um, like when we really Whoa. do demar, like when we you just out yourself as a Democrat by saying that the planet is getting hotter. I'm just saying the planet's getting hotter. Right. And we're not really like too concerned. We're concerned. We're not too concerned. So at some Are point. Are you concerned? I'm, I am concerned. I have concern. On a um, scale from zero to 10. There are concerns that we are, we are really ignoring some things, especially the more. Okay. So here's the thing is I don't actually also blame all of us. There's a really good book, Mountains of the Heart, that's about the Appalachians. And it talks a lot about um, past oopsies that we're now doing better on. And I really like that book because a lot of it is Appalachian themed. And a lot of it is not we're doomed, we're fucked. It's more so um, like we did a lot of shit in the 1800s that went a little too far. Example, extincting the passenger pigeon and like taking out all these animals and just like going way too hard on the industrialization. But in the 1960s and 70s and onward, we've done a lot of things to mitigate and reverse. And there's a lot of silver linings coming about that like the doom people tend to skip past that I think gives me a lot of hope. Needless to say, ipso facto. Um, so you're a Republican. Just because I outed you for liking butt stuff doesn't mean I need to state my political affiliations. Well, you're saying that you think we're on the course to recovery and there's nothing to no, worry I about. No, I think that people would be a lot more open to doing more to help things get better if we didn't paint it as such a doom and gloom atmosphere and we showed more examples of how things are recovering based on things that we have started to do. I think that really does give hope and it gives some encouragement instead of like, what's the point of doing anything, which is kind of how it feels when you paint the picture of it's heating up anyway, nothing you can do can fix it. And it just is like, well, then why bother doing anything? Seeing certain species come back, seeing certain environments get back to what they were gives more hope and makes me want to do more personally. That being said, I do think that the planet is heating up based on science and if aliens can get what do you here, mean based on science? 
aliens can also get away. You're the one with a wife to go home to. I have no bedtime. No, I, I'm just saying, are, are you saying that science is saying that the Earth is warming up or science Yes, is... statistically, the Earth goes through several cycles of freezes and warmings, and there are extreme freezes and extreme warmings. And in between each, you get several mini freezes. Example, the little ice age that happened. It peaked between 1450 and 1850, where they went through a little ice age. Talk so about is our current cycle the potato famine in Ireland. Period? That was all due to this little ice age. We should. Is our current cycle man-made or is this a natural cycle? Well, we are now in the Anthropocene which is no longer the past the past like environment that we were in we are now in something they're categorizing as the time of humans because we should still be in this cooling period but things keep getting hotter and the answer to why is because of all the oil and the coal and everything we're burning it's just science this is an opinion this is science argue with me on that anyone that's listening um Based so we on should this be science, in a cooling cycle, but we man, should be due to man-made forces. We should be warming. in small cooling cycles, but the planet keeps getting hotter, and that's because of man-made interference. And these will be fun emails too. This doesn't have anything to do with politics. Like, sorry if you just don't like facts, but <laughs> aliens have gotten here, and if they can get here, they can figure out how to get away because no one's just going to come here to die unless you're Elon sending people on a one-way mission to Mars. Um, so if they come here, they can probably leave, and if they're smart enough to figure out how to go then they're probably miles ahead of all of Elon's Mars missions where he's going to save us all by colonizing Mars or any of that shit you could believe in. Yeah, if we're still decades away from being able to go to the closest planet in the solar system, if you can travel many solar systems. I'm just saying, like, what if these are friendly aliens and they come here and they, like, not to bring into that Twilight Zone episode of where they have the menu, How to Serve Man, and then they find out it's a cookbook once they're on the ship. Um, That's a reference for the older listeners. Yeah. But... If they were actually friendly aliens, I think we could learn a number of things from them. Main point number one is they're smarter than us, and if they could find a way here, they could probably find a way out, and they probably know where somewhere else habitable is if they're already ranging around space, and they could be a really strong asset to us should the day come that we have. And I'm not like a, I'm not like an Earth is like, like we're going to collapse in this lifetime type of person, but I've done enough reading on like the history of the world for the mile by mile podcast where like we've gone through several mass extinctions. It's not, it's not a blame one side of the political party or the other side type of thing. At some point we're going to go through another mass extinction. If there's intellectual life out there that can, you know, give us some pointers, like, let me hear what you got to say. I think they're smarter than us and we can learn something from them. I think sharks are older than the oldest tree. I mean, we did cut down a lot of the oldest trees, so we're really skewing that. Yeah, but that's I, an us oopsie there. I think that's the oldest species, oldest living species, maybe megalodon. Yeah, all I'm saying, didn't mean to rant that hard. I could go on about this. We went for from hours. butt stuff to you talking about. Well, you were te- you were you knew what you were doing there. Yes, poking. But the bear. all I'm saying is, aliens are probably smarter than us, and we could probably humble ourselves. We can ourselves. remove the probably from that one. We could humble ourselves. By being willing to learn a thing or two, should they be willing to teach a thing or two? I'd be curious to know what they have to say. I was into this triple crown thinking it would be a quick one. and man, was This is your, <laughs> this is your you. I, I gave you an out several spots in that. And I, you, well, you mentioned the politics and I could not try to get you to. Because there's going to be someone that takes that and makes it political. And it's like, this is nothing to do with like two different political parties. It just has to do with like the state of like life at this current point in time. Read more. Sorry, your turn. I'm excited for <laughs> the inevitable Netflix documentaries that come out mm. about the arrival of aliens and just oh. all of like 
the real content about like what that event was like. So like future stuff looking back on now. Not even that far future. Netflix documentaries turn stuff around quick. Like it'll happen and then there'll be like all this like fun content that everyone will be talking about and it'll be real. Ken Burns could do it. If anyone could do it, Ken Burns can do it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure like a lot of people will do it and there'll just be a lot out and that's just like the focus. What if aliens got involved with Netflix and aliens are coming up with the concepts? I think aliens could think of some good Netflix series. Yeah, maybe there's even like a whole other streaming platform that comes from it. The Real Housewives of Planet X. Right, like what what happens there that we don't know? They could take us into their world. We could have so many good shows. Yeah, so just do like the, create, the, the content that comes yeah. from that. Do they create content that is understandable to us? Because like if you look at the range of the electromagnetic field, visible light is like this little tiny sliver, and to assume that an alien perceives the world in that little sliver is maybe a stretch. So I think I think that would be cool if that were the case. If not, just the stuff that we would come up with alone yeah. based on that interaction would be sure. Great. Good business opportunities for somebody that can translate between because like that's a lot of what these telescopes are doing is like the, the a lot of the uh, imagery is in frequencies that we can't see, so it's just interpreting it. Maybe we can do that with the Netflixes of alien cultures. Well, here's where I'm going to counter you there is if you're if we're talking like the range of things we can and can't see, if we have Congress coming out being like, all right, aliens exist, you know, like then there's something that they have seen. So there's something that they're like, we're we're seeing the same thing somewhere. So I'm assuming we have that connection where we're seeing the same stuff. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that their entertainment production is uh within our ultraviolet no but imagine it's not we get some like dark ass stuff on netflix it's like a fun new comedy yeah that'd be cool yeah Uh, you get two yeah yeah so i think that and then i think uh another side of that of like of things changing i think is like the um the inevitable shift in like the political climate of like Mm. all of a sudden just like everyone's talking about something different for a while Mm. Like, what do we do with this? Yeah. And like, how do we feel about this? And what is this side? And like, do, does that change like how sides work? Sure. Or like, just, I feel like that'd be a pretty big topic of conversation for a while. And I think that maybe it'd be nice to talk about something different for a little bit. I'd like to piggyback on that today being September 11th. I feel like that was the last time that this country was actually united. Like to mm. have a common enemy and something that we were all sharing is like, we are one team and the terrorists are the other team. Um, I, what more could accomplish that than an alien invasion? It's like, those are the bad guys. Maybe we're staring our inevitable and quick and painful death in the eye, but at least we would do it hand in hand for a brief period of time. Yeah, I maybe, say you hopefully, don't... but also I feel like it'd probably be divided With social media, there'd be so many <laughs> conspiracy theories. Well, be it'd, be, like... it'd be half like, like, let's defend ourselves and half like, no, let's learn from these people. That's true. I'm also not hoping for another 9-11 just to get some hashtag camaraderie. Yeah, sure. We're talking about silver linings <laughs> of alien invasions. I think yeah. most people are perceiving an alien invasion that's probably going to go poorly. So but we're that, trying to we find have, But we have linings. so much room to grow there then. If we only think the worst is going to come from this, talk about my place number two, we've only got up from here, right? Like imagine they show up and they're just like total chillers, right? Like these dudes are just like down to clown on spring break going planet hopping on their little road trip and they stumble upon us and they think we're fun. And cute and like, like just like a good way to occupy a week. How much fun could that be? I could have a lot of fun there. Yeah. We would at least talk about it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah. be that would be a historically defining moment. That might be their spring break. That's our whole history. Yeah. But 
have to accept the fact that if they've got the technology to travel as many galaxies as they have to get to us, they have the technology to just eliminate us with the push Surely. of a button. But if they have all that, they probably don't really want much. We probably have not much to offer. Uh, like, and that's it, a very humbling thought for us. But like maybe we just don't have like maybe they actually don't want what's ours. Maybe like maybe humble ourselves there. Maybe they just don't want that. Maybe they're keeping tabs on the fact that we've got nuclear weapons and now we're trying to explore outer space. And what they can travel between galaxies and they can't come up with nuclear weapons. Well, I'm saying they would uh, eliminate us to uh, prevent against the fact of us doing something dumb for the greater. Yeah, more like space. marking us as a potential threat. Yeah, yeah. But that's us being very cocky and thinking that we would be threat level. Like, what if we're ants and they're humans and we just, like, we are mundane in their lives? If there's aliens that can get to us, we are ants and they are humans. Right, we're not occupying ourselves with what ants are doing but outside on the sidewalk. If we're we, not going out of our way to stomp out anthills. If we saw ants, red ants congregating into this giant sphere that was going to try to attack something. Um, Pour a little water on it. We'll need, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll need, we we'll need to find some yeah. strong sense of unity first. I don't think that's in our... Immediate future. I think they hey, could be really I, friendly. I applaud your optimism on this. You're the yeah. one that's not afraid of aliens. Somehow. I'm also the one that came up with benefits of aliens. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's my second one. Is like, what if they're just like super chill? Mm -hmm. We okay. haven't considered that part yet. No, I. And I think it goes back to the point. If we could be cute puppies to them. Yeah. Well, that might be a segue to one of my options. I got a few that I'm playing with, but yeah, you got to acknowledge the fact if they can get to us. There's no war. There's we don't have a right. fighting chance. Right, it's we're like, cute, cuddly. We're at, we're at the mercy of whatever their temperament is. Um, so hopefully they just... like. Are they are they mean kids with the with the little magnifying glasses and we're the ants that are just like getting fucked for no reason? Or are they like not that shitty kid and they're just someone that's like doesn't make sense to step on you? Yeah. Let me. Maybe they either like communicate with us and that means that they're curious at all or they just like eliminate us immediately before even trying and we don't even have to worry about it. I was going to say... What's the point then? Like what's the point of doing that? You're not just roaming the galaxy looking for shit to explode. Maybe we've got... Maybe Earth has really unique resources that they're super Oh, again, this goes like, back to us being full of ourselves. We, we really need to humble ourselves. <laughs> we've like maybe... Maybe we've like just crossed the threshold of like just dangerous enough that like we're on the... The, like the path to becoming dangerous. And, and in just, that like, case, snuff us out first. don't even interact with us. We got this covered. We'll what, snuff ourselves out. What if, we're, do, we're on the right track. What if their planet ran out of water and we're the closest planet with water? Aliens don't need water. Okay. That is a theory. It's a hot what take. If, what if, what that's it, a very hot take. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big assumption. Yeah. What if they ran out of Slim Jims? I mean, again, like, Humble ourselves. We are the odds that we are the closest planet to. We've we've done how many big telescopes, seeing different things, satellites, whatever. And these aliens have come and found us before we found them. And they want our water that we've tossed tons of toxic stuff. Like the you know like we've still got some good water. We've got some good water. We, our water is getting better after the clean Sierra, air and water. Sierra Act. drinks out of her toilet and she's totally fine. Harper's been throwing up after drinking toilet water. Granted, mm. it was blue, but um. I just like there's there's. I'm gonna better... defend our water. I think our water is pretty tight. Our water, yeah, it's We've great. Got some it's gross great water for too. us. Yeah, like we need like, it. We love to, it. I wouldn't go on a water vacation to Flint, Michigan. Wouldn't be here next week without it. Yeah. You know, but I don't. I think if the aliens have the cream of the crop of all the galaxies, mm -hmm. there's got to be one with better water. Sure. It seems like plants seem to enjoy water. I don't know what am I saying. <laughs> what am I saying? Uh, I'm saying if you're the type of 
species that enjoys growing plants. That's a pretty cool. I, I just want to view this podcast from the eyes of a new listener <laughs> yeah. who has no idea what they were getting They're into here. They're not listening anymore for sure. Um, okay, my last one is, you kind of hit on one so I'll give it as an honorable mention, but getting the answers to the universe's mysteries, if they're smart enough to get here, they can explain a lot of things to you, assuming mm. that they'll be that patient. But that's not my thing. My thing is I'm going to go straight Independence Day, the movie, and that's stealing their UFOs. If we can somehow just get one. You're the reason we're going to get zapped. Why can't you, we just hang? Yeah. Why well, do we have to steal their shit? It, we don't need to steal their if shit. We're do, if we're doing a probability Someone's chart. Someone's going to get suspicious. <laughs> yeah, right. This is not going to go. In the history of species interactions. This is e- the movie. Ex- exploration typically l- leads to bad things. So if if you love history, if you're a fan of history, you know that the more you explore, the more uh, entropy and t- typically negative things come of that. Yeah, and that you only need one bad egg to fuck it up for the group. Imagine we're having this movie. You're watching this movie, Aliens Meet Earth. Everything's going swell. We're having a great time. And then you get that one mischievous dickhead that's like, what if I just go steal this UFO while everyone else is coexisting perfectly? And then they're like, oh, we can't trust these people. Zap them all. And it's just because you couldn't keep your hands off the keys. Yeah, if you want to come from the mindset of these are friendly aliens, but if I do get the chance to take the UFO... A fucking course I'm taking the UFO. You're not even going to know how to... You can't fly a plane. Uh, you think you're going to fly a UFO? I'm going to try. It's going to be tr- in a different the, language. The world is about to end, sweetheart. It's going to go crazy. They probably work those things with their brains. Do you think there's going to be like a button that says up? Yeah, maybe I'll have to like put one in a stranglehold and tell it to like, use your brain. You're going to you're gonna strong arm an alien into showing you how to steal its UFO? I think there's a better case to be made that we're stronger than aliens than smarter. No. I think the more... Zachary. I think we're more... Stronger two, than I think aliens? Yeah. Physically. Come on. Be, both physically. of you think that? If you, I think if, one of, if it's possible that one of them is the case i think it would be stronger i don't think that it'd be either but if it's one i think it's that one why if you look at the way that we are evolving like we evolved from apes right good luck fighting a fucking gorilla but they have evolved to the point that they have figured out how to like to go through galaxies in space and you don't think they've had any evolutions well yeah but maybe they evolved more to be intelligent because they didn't have to worry about being stronger and we've been focused on being stronger. the fact that your brains think that there's even a chance that we would be stronger I think there's a I good chance. It, I, I'm saying if it's one of the two, it's that yeah. versus being smarter. There's no way we're smarter. We might be. If it's one, it, it would be stronger. If there's a if there's a conflict, we're losing because of their technology, not because of their brute force. You think that we are that strong? I I to I think the point that Carl's echoing is if you look at how we're evolving, we're evolving to be a smarter, less strong species. So if you drag that out. The future version, which I think aliens possibly are just future human beings. You don't think that they could be smart enough to figure out how to like take a vitamin every day that adds strength, like a strength adding vitamin, like a like a level up button. I think the average person today is much weaker than the average person five hundred years ago. Or you have you have like even with for example, people say jumping on a trampoline for ten minutes is burns more calories, is better of a workout than running for thirty minutes. Swear to God, I read that. You don't think they found things like that where it's like, I'm so smart as an alien that if I do X for five minutes, I am physically stronger than these idiot humans who are spending 20 miles a day walking on this trail? Yeah, I think they're evolving to survive. And I think intelligence is probably the one that's pre-selected for that. I, I'm going to respectfully disagree with the both of you. I think this is a very silly stance. You think stance. aliens are super buff? 
I think that to think that we are we could we would be stronger than an alien that we could strong arm them into handing over the keys to a UFO is the silliest thing I've ever heard oh, you I don't, say. I don't think I'm gonna like I because they have superior technology. I'm just saying if if given, if they didn't have superior technology, no, they have superior. They but if they didn't, you think that you could? No, they have. There's no if they didn't have superior. Okay, technology. you versus alien one on one. You think you're winning? I think fight? if maybe they lost whatever their futurized space laser was and it just came to hand. It's you combat, versus alien. I take that. As opposed to like me with my nine millimeter versus whatever he's got. Yeah, I'd rather go hand to hand. Would you rather go hand to hand with an alien or a lion? Alien, easily. I don't really? have no shot against a lion. You're are you dying. kidding me? You are dying. You're you dead. choose alien? I don't have any shot against a lion, but I certainly don't against an let's, alien. Let's they could do, probably teleport. Let's, let's do the matrix of things that are known and unknown. At best, we don't know anything about aliens. I know we an know alien for a fact. No, that a lion is I know rip you to shreds that for instantly. an alien to get here, it would have had to travel across galaxies, so it can do some shit that I don't know. And I and that is, I, I like yes, lion guaranteed. Here's the thing: is I'm not winning either of these fights. Lion guarantee kills me. Alien is going to guarantee kill me in a way that I don't expect. I, it's going to just look at me and blink, and then my brain is going to melt into the rest of my body. We're talking hand-to-hand combat here. Of course, if the technology is involved, duh. That's not technology. Duh. It's just like it's evolution. Like they're probably just way. But if you look at our evolution, you think that you are strong enough that any unknown alien can, you could fight it and on, win. Can, I think it's an if. I think it's like it's a definite no on the tech. I think that if it's possible, it is physically because it's definitely. It's. I think it's still a probable no. But I think if it's one of the two, it's physicality and it's not technology. Look at the thing that we evolved from. Are we more strong than that? Look or- at what they evolved from. They traveled across space. We don't know what they evolved from. Exactly, but they traveled across <laughs> space. We haven't yeah, figured that very, out that yet. Yeah, that means they're pretty smart. But they've so done it about, and we let's haven't. Let's talk about physical strength right now. So in our own personal evolution, if we go back to our predecessors, apes, are we more strong than that or are we less strong than that? We, are we com- we're comparing our strength to apes in terms of taking out an alien. I'm just doing. We are, a, I'm doing we are a less linea, I'm doing a li- linear comparison. We are right less now. strong than. Are apes, we evolving? But, that, but we are, are less we evolving intellectually. I'll or answer you, but not if you twist this towards the answer you want. We are less stronger than apes, but we are not. We are not not strong because we're getting smart. Because if we were getting smart, we would look at all the shit we do that's not conducive to our strength, like fast food and overeating and a sedentary lifestyle and all these things, and we would fix them. If we were that smart, we wouldn't be sitting on our butts eight hours a day on a computer. We'd be doing better we're, things. We're, we're definitely evolving because we're more smart. We create, 100%, we, we create but we're medicines. Evolving at, we're able to yeah, we're evol- synthetic we're food. We're evolving at a group, but you and I are on the lower tier of the like social hierarchy here where we are the workers and we're like we're just we're I'm working at a desk every day for eight hours this isn't because I'm smart this is because I need to make an income to afford the life to live the quality of your life is so far superior to somebody who grew up who lived a thousand years ago thousand percent yeah but that's not why I'm not strong I'm not strong because I have to earn an income and I have to sit at a desk to do it no but you're a benefit of society the society is a byproduct of the fact that we I would think aliens would have come up with a better a better hierarchy of society where think, you're not giving up one for the other. I think the point is maybe, but not definitely. But the definitely is they're definitely smarter, but I they're hope, not definitely stronger. Here is my hope. I hope and pray. I'm looking at YouTube when I say this. I hope and pray if the day comes 
the aliens are here. I'm just going to plug my third. I don't know where we are in this entire triple crown. My third has changed. And my third went from being seeing Elon get humbled to I want to be in the front seats of watching the Professor Zach Davis alien fight. I want to see it happen because prove me wrong. But I think that you guys are very silly. If they're stripped of their technology, uh, I'll take that over a technological battle. Definitely. No one's getting into a technological battle with an alien. That's just that's that's obvious. Yeah. But I'm not going mano a mano with an alien. Or, th- or even humoring the thought that I could I'm do not it. saying I want to either. I'm saying the only you place there's you a could. chance. No, 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 no. I'm saying the only place that there's a chance is this way because it's not the technological way. But do you think you'd win? No. Okay, but so I you're would... on my side. Well, I think you that there- You sound like you're on I his think... side for a lot of this. I, no, I think there's like a, like a small chance that it's possible versus a 0% chance. But I think it's still unlikely. I think Zach thinks he can do it. If you look at all the renderings, if you look at all the what renderings, what renderings? What are you going to do? Pull out I'm charts? I'm just saying, like, if if you if you say alien, a vision comes to mind. And Define this is renderings. A drawing, somebody's imagination, but there's like a there, there's some version of a Venn diagram overlap of what an alien is. You're assuming their muscle mass looks the same as ours. What? Just because they look thin, they are thin. What if their muscle is completely different? Think about how strong it's... carbon fiber is. Carbon fiber, <laughs> Cuban fiber, carbon fiber. Think about how strong that is to other types of Both metals that are each, thicker, each denser, them. heavier. Yeah. How much stronger this lightweight <clears throat> material is? Why aren't aliens the same? Because we've evolved to be weaker. Oh my god. So. So you're saying we're weaker? We're weaker than our predecessors. And the evolutionary track says that we're going to get smarter and weaker. But not weaker than aliens. We don't know their strength, but there's the possibility. Oh, my God. I think there's the possibility. I think it could boomerang back and, like, eventually they get so smart that they start also getting stronger. Yeah. But not yet? Well, here's the I, question. I, we don't know. But it, Why would they need to be strong if they're that smart? That's kind of the reason why people get very smart is they don't need to be strong. Because they're venturing out of their galaxy to explore the unknown lands. And they've got the technology to accomplish all the means to that end. I I would be shocked to find some scrawny last pick in the dodgeball line aliens showing up at our shores. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Wow, I got heated on that. <laughs> I didn't think you would think that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if I got to ride around in their UFO... Will Smith style. Uh, fuck yeah, that would be pretty fucking that sick. Would. Okay, so you're taking a UFO. I'm taking a UFO. If granted the opportunity, um, yeah, I'm going at the speed of light. I'm maybe exploring a wormhole. These things can do incredible things. Um, yeah, I'm full, I'm full in on the UFO ride. All right. And Chance, so do you want to see us fight still or you got something else? No, I, I think I'm, that was the end of it. I'm worn out. Yeah. Oh, I got I got one still. Okay, what's yours? I got my third. Okay. And it's, did we, I think that... it's I did I did my two back to back. Okay. And we're coming back. We're right, skipping right. yours. I say I, I think that it's a lot less controversial. I think it'd be exciting to see what they're eating and drinking. Love that. And there mm. might be some fun things to taste yeah. and to eat. I like that. That's a nice wholesome way to bring us back together. Yeah. Great. Cool. I wonder if they're like plants. Maybe they just need yeah. do they oxygen. Do they like carbonated stuff? Is yeah. that a thing? Yeah. Do they have something else that's like in there? Is there some other element that's like not like carbonation that's in a beverage that they like that's in a beverage? Yeah. There's some kind of alcohol that does something different. It I would be fun. Human flesh. Or like, like mind altering substance that they've got. Yeah, like, sure. Every species has got something sure, that makes yeah. them spin a little bit. It would be chill to give an alien their first beer. And like watch them be like, whoa, that'd be cool. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay. Yeah. And just to like trade stuff like that and just see what happens. Yeah. 
I need to go home. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put a wrap on this. Uh, this is a long five-star review. We'll save it for a future podcast. If you guys enjoyed the show and your ears aren't bleeding from that last segment, uh, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave any number of stars, just not one through four. We will read it on the show, regardless of what you have to say. Uh, what do we have for a sticker code for today? It's got to be Jesus Christ! A lot of content. Yeah. I, so I remember how I said I'm picking up the hiker with Giardia, who's going to stay with me for a bit. I was supposed to pick him up an hour ago. I said we're not there. We're not done yet. We got into a long tangent about if we could win a fist fight with aliens. He just said if I could weigh in, we probably win based on aliens being smarter but more fragile. Wow. Um, Sounds you're on an island right now. I'm also the only girl in this discussion. I'm not trying to pull up the Macho Man card, but I feel like you guys have a little macho in you that needs needs to just get turned down Yeah, but you evolved from a female ape that was very strong, and uh, you're, you're less strong, but you're still very strong for what we are as a thing. But at least I've maintained my smarts because I know that this is a silly, silly, silly comparison. Okay. I just can't believe he just agreed with you both. Okay, where were we? Sticker code. Sticker code, <laughs> who would win in a fight, Zach or an alien? Yeah, okay. I like that. That'll be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. Uh, a super big thank you to our Truck Norris Award winners on Patreon. That is Alex and Misty with Navigators Crafting, Andrew, Austin McDaniel, Austin Ford, Brad and Blair from 13 Adventures, Brent Stenberg, Christopher Marshburn, Coach from Marion Outdoors. Did I say that already? Why is that for you? No. Uh, Dane. Ish. Derek Cook, Do Good Pantry. Eric Casper. Friendly Ghost. Eric Hoffman. Greg McDaniel. May he bring honor to his name. Liz Seeger. Matt Suka. Mike Poizel. Morgan Luke. I am your father. Patrick Ciencialo. Sawyer Products. Timothy Hahn. Solo. And Tracy Trigger. Hans. Um, what is this? I don't know. I was surprised by that too. thought that was a you doing. Maybe this is just Mara being Mara. Yeah. Uh, this is a different Patreon level. And I think their names are supposed to be included in the show notes. I don't know. I, even know. I think so. And this is Mara. Yeah. Uh, hey, Mara, we love you. You can follow us on social at Backpacker Radio on Instagram and TikTok at Backpacker Pod at X, Facebook.com slash Backpacker Radio. You can follow Carl. Yeah, I'm at prof underscore Carl, P-R-O-F underscore C-A-R-L on Instagram. It's the only place that I am. I'll be uh, in Japan when this comes out, and then I'm going oh, to Iceland uh, right after that. Nice. Fuck Damn. yeah. So the I can't wait stuff. for the next time yeah. you're on the show as a guest, because uh, I feel like we brushed over a lot of this stuff. Yeah, but... like finishing the Triple Crown in lieu of talking about fish yeah. for 30 minutes. Yeah. Sure, but we got stuff to talk about. <laughs> that, that was fun, though, too. I don't that was really that fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. You can follow Chauncey. You can find me on Instagram at Juliana underscore Chauncey, and you can get my book, Hiking From Home, at Amazon. Wait. You can get my book, Hiking From Home, a long distance... <laughs> you can get my book at Amazon. Just look it up. Um, if you're an alien and you're listening to this and you would like to show up to the arena without any of your superior technology, bring it on. I see. That's why I forgot my book name is I was trying to think about where I would tell the aliens to find me. Yeah. And I didn't want to give my address. And then the brain had too many thoughts going and the mouth couldn't keep up. Yeah. Uh, if you want to consume this podcast via video, we are doing these on YouTube. What's up, YouTube? Hi, Eric. I highly recommend this one on YouTube because you get to watch just you get to I watch Chauncey's so face turn purple during the alien discussion. I would argue I, our best- I was best, having a fun conversation. You were actually getting mad. That was Our fun. best arguments are the ones where you get me heated. Yeah. I didn't. I, I did not foresee you getting so I can't so handle it. <laughs> I can't. I mean, this, this is so stupid. Yeah. It, You're not beating an alien in a fight. There's no freaking way. I agreed with you that it was stupid, but not for that same reason. I but, just can't believe you'd even think. Yeah. Uh another marathon episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and happy hiking. Bye. Oh, here's a riddle. Uh, 
The more you have of it, the less you see. What is it? Cantaloupes. What? Cantaloupes is your answer, because if you're holding a pile of cantaloupes, <laughs> you're not going to be able to see very much. Right, you know? no. Especially if it goes past your face. No, that's not the answer. You tell me you can see through a pile of cantaloupes? That's I not the answer to the riddle. <laughs>